Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. I've always said, listen, college football is king of the world. The coronavirus has put athletic events on hold and interrupted the flow of money that makes sports such a big business. College sports are trying to deal with the shortfall and dreading what happens if the shutdown affects the big moneymaker, football. NPR's Tom Goldman reports. The shock of the NCAA canceling college sports largely is gone. The cost is not. Santino Marina, a 20-year-old wrestler at Old Dominion University in Virginia, felt it last week when he got an emergency email. Urgent news, we need to have a team meeting online at 4.30. The news was bad. Because of financial issues, ODU was ending its 63-year-old wrestling program. It was April 2nd, so I was like, oh, it's probably just an April Fool's joke. And then the more they started talking to us, the more I realized, like, this is no joke, like this is for real, like the coaches are getting emotional and stuff. This month, the NCAA was going to start distributing about $600 million to its Division I member schools, like Old Dominion. But with the Cash Cow Men's Basketball Tournament canceled, along with spring championships, the figure plummeted to $225 million. It helped seal ODU Wrestling's fate and left athletic departments everywhere scrambling. Iowa State Athletic Director Jamie Pollard announced many in his department are taking pay cuts. On a conference call, Pollard said it could get much worse. We're probably in a phase right now that we're in a long, hard winter. But if we can't play football this fall, I mean, it's ice age time. Two years ago, Forbes reported college football's 25 most valuable teams generated a combined $2.5 billion a year in revenue. A lot of that goes to college sports that don't make money and to cash-hungry opponents. Sidelines, 49 points the most that Florida State has posted all season long. When Florida State thumped Alabama State last year 49-12 in a game broadcast by Fox Sports, the losing team got what it wanted, a reported $425,000. It was a guarantee game where a lesser team usually endures a pummeling at the hands of a major program for big bucks. Alabama State Athletic Director Jennifer Lynn Williams worries altering this football season will mean no guarantee games pumping money into her school's general fund. It will definitely impact our budget, how we move forward, um, how we support our non-revenue generating sports. Everything can be affected. 
College athlete advocates worry the money crunch on schools will hurt their ability to provide athletes with medical coverage and athletic scholarships. Santino Marina, the now former Old Dominion wrestler, used his scholarship so he could go to ODU instead of community college. If he can keep wrestling and get scholarship help at another D1 school, he'll take the opportunity. But he says if it's not there financially, he'll be a student without the athlete part. Tom Goldman, NPR News. You calling me a thief? You're damn right, thief. Who the hell told you to finish the rest of the bottle anyway? I need a drink. I often say that on a Friday. Now I'm starting to say it a little earlier in the week. If you're feeling the same way, I get it. We all get it. In parts of Mexico, a little tipple is no longer possible. Governors throughout the country have limited and in some cases outright banned the sale of alcohol. Here's Emily Green. Jose Escamilla lives in Tabasco in southern Mexico. It's hot outside. 97 degrees. With this heat, people here usually drink a lot of beer, he says. But beer is now a precious commodity. Last week, the governor of Tabasco banned alcohol sales overnight, announcing the new rule from his home where he's quarantined because he has the coronavirus. Yo fui a Samsis y vi que la gente salía con carros llenos de cajas de vino, de cerveza. Escamilla immediately went to the store to stock up. He said people's shopping carts were filled with boxes of wine and beer. There isn't a nationwide ban on the sale of alcohol in Mexico. It's still legal in Mexico City. But in other cities across the country, local officials have restricted the sale of it to halt the spread of the coronavirus. The bans include tourist hotspots like Los Cabos and Cancun. In the state of Nuevo León, the governor has suspended beer production, saying it's not an essential service. Corona, Pacifico, and Victoria are all produced there. If there's not going to be distribution, we shouldn't have alcohol sales, Governor Jaime Calderón said at a press conference, which then set off panic buying of beer. There's a long history of restricting alcohol in Mexico. All the way back even to the Aztecs. That's Gretchen Pierce, a historian who has written about alcohol prohibition in Mexico. The Aztecs drank pulque, a fermented beverage made of agave. It was sacred. Only certain groups were allowed to drink it. So, for example, the elderly, lactating women, warriors, groups like this. And these prohibitions continued long after the Aztecs disappeared. During the Mexican Revolution in the early 20th century, alcohol was prohibited because it was believed to reduce productivity among workers, she says. When it comes to today's ban, the evidence between drinking and the coronavirus is still being studied, says George Koob, director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism at the National Institutes of Health. What we know is that heavy drinking can worsen the impact of infections on the lungs because alcohol impairs the immune system. And there are societal reasons to limit alcohol consumption. Dr. Francisco Moreno works at ABC Hospital in Mexico City. The alcohol restrictions are more related to the psychological situation of isolation. There's evidence that isolation will depress people and, and depression is associated with drugs and alcohol. And in Mexico, we have a lot of violence in the family setting. 
In other words, alcohol can fuel domestic violence, especially when people are cooped up inside. And it's a problem in other countries, too. In Greenland, a health minister cited domestic violence as one of the reasons for banning alcohol sales until mid-April. South Africa also banned alcohol for three weeks, as well as cigarettes. It's for people's own good, says Adela Maker-Didix. She's with the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance. Food security is going to become a big issue. And if we have people spending the little resource that they have currently on alcohol, the bigger issue is going to be hunger. Maker Didix also argues that banning alcohol will lessen violence generally, which means fewer people going to the emergency room for that reason and taking up hospital beds for coronavirus patients. But critics say the alcohol ban is counterproductive and even dangerous. There are reports of people making their own alcohol at home. And some people, they're just annoyed by it. Like Carrie Kapka, a lawyer who lives in Cape Town. It's kind of paternalistic um, attitude that they have towards our people and saying that, you know, you don't know what's right for you, so we're going to tell you. Kapka is not much of a drinker. That is, until the coronavirus crisis hit. I have been having one or two drinks. It helps, for whatever reason, kind of calm the nerves. For now, Kapka has a healthy stash of alcohol at home. Maybe she'll sell it on the black market, she jokes. But black markets, they're actually happening. Back in Tabasco, Mexico, Jose Escamilla says he's not too worried about the ban. La gente que quiere tomar va a conseguir. Seguramente va a conseguir. Más caro, pero va a conseguir. People who want to drink are going to get their hands on it, he says. It will be more expensive, but they'll find a way. For The World, I'm Emily Green. South Africa has the highest number of diagnosed COVID-19 cases on the African continent. The country's at the tail end of a three-week lockdown, but cases continue to rise. And at a single hospital in the city of Durban, dozens of health workers were infected with the virus. NPR's Ader Peralta has been following this from his base in Nairobi, and he's on the line with me now. Hi, Ader. Hey, Noel. So give me a sense of the situation in South Africa overall. It's a big country. What's happening? Yeah, so so far the country has reported uh, more than 1,800 cases and 18 deaths. Uh, But the big debate right now is whether this lockdown will end as scheduled on April 16th. President Cyril Ramaphosa is under intense pressure to end it because people are hurting. This has halted the South African economy, which, by the way, was already in recession before this pandemic. And yesterday, during a press briefing, Ramaphosa defended the lockdown, saying it was the right thing to do. Let's listen. So the lockdown, by all intents and purposes, has been one of those important measures that we have used to save lives. It's painful but necessary, he says. Well, do we have a sense of whether the measures are working? Like, are they flattening the curve there? 
So some of the early numbers we've gotten tell us that it has flattened the curve. South Africa has taken inspiration from China and South Korea. They locked down very early. They have conducted more than 60,000 tests, and they're aggressively contact tracing and quarantining. But uh, epidemiologists I've spoken to worry that these measures will not be enough. Cases are still rising. And just recently, South Africa started testing people who were not travelers or contacts of people with the virus. And the worry is that we'll start to see clusters of cases in the high-density poor townships. One epidemiologist I spoke to told me that South Africa should continue trying to contain the virus, but they should also be preparing uh, to deal with an onslaught. Let me ask you about this hospital that you've been reporting on, 48 health workers infected. What does that say more broadly about what's happening in hospitals in the country? So unions for health workers say that their members were not given personal protective equipment. That's a claim that the government denies, but this one hospital in Durban is not taking any more patients because the outbreak has hit their staff hard. And this is a problem across the country. One of the unions actually took the government to court over PPE concerns. And this really also points to one of the big worries on the continent, that there is not enough PPE to keep health workers safe, that they will get sick or they will just stop showing up to work, which will make this pandemic much worse out here. What's happening? And I I know it's a big question because it's a big continent, but what is happening continent wide? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot, including cases in South Sudan and Somalia, two countries that are among the least equipped to handle an epidemic. But on a lighter note, Noel, there is one thing that we are all talking about. Uh, Yesterday, Uganda's president, Yoweri Museveni, came on TV and he chastised his citizens for exercising outside during their lockdown. He said they could do that inside and he promised a video tutorial today. Uh, And just so you get the picture, Museveni is 75 and he's usually hanging out uh, on his farm with his longhorns. So we're all excited. Uh, Will this exercise video, uh, will it involve lycra, maybe an 80s headband? Whatever it is, uh, I am here for it. Uh, And I expect you to forward it. (laughs) tonight. (laughs) I will. NPR's Ader Peralta. Thanks, Ader. Thank you, Noel. When everything is going fine, when you first meet this fellow that you think you really like and you're going to start spending some time with him, and when you all are sitting somewhere with the candlelight and roses, if that's the setting, or wherever, in the apartment, in the car, and you're really talking about how much you really go for each other and all the rest of that stuff that you half believe, okay? The female should speak up and say, Johnny, I want to tell you something that's very, 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 very important to me. And we've been seeing each other about a month now. Don't ever hit me. Now, If you hit me, there's nothing I can do because you're much bigger than me, you're muscular, you play basketball and all like this. But don't ever hit me because what that will mean is that we can never be together again. For any reason. If you ever hit me. Now, I might say some things that might make you mad. Or I might do some things that might make you mad. Hopefully not. But whatever happens, I want you to say that, and get it in your mind, that you will never hit me. Because I can't stand for you to hit me. And it won't prove anything if you hit me.
It's not just that life at work and school has been disrupted, and having all those people not go to work and school also means life at home has been disrupted. That can lead to stresses in even the happiest of homes. And there's a growing concern about the less happy homes and the prospect of domestic abuse. The Secretary General of the United Nations spoke about this yesterday, using the term horrifying global surge to describe cases of domestic violence. Let's explore concerns and options in our region. Community Works in Medford offers a number of programs. Kim Kaplan is the Advocacy Services Director at Community Works and our guest by phone here on the Jefferson Exchange. Kim, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. So I noticed even before the Secretary General spoke out yesterday that the, 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 the frequency of news stories was increasing. So this seems like it's a major concern in many places. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, domestic violence is um, its own pandemic. And so um, right now you have people that are dealing with the coronavirus and you have people that have been dealing with um, domestic violence as well. So they have two crises that are happening in their life currently right now. When you speak about domestic violence as its own pandemic, I mean, is this something that predates coronavirus? Yeah, of course. So domestic violence is unfortunately one of those things that has incredibly high rates um, across our country, in our region. I mean, I would say the rates at best are one in four, um, but that one in four statistic usually refers to Um, women in heterosexual relationships, and it refers to physical violence. And we know that domestic violence can occur in all types of relationships. It can include many forms. And so the prevalence is high um, always. And then, like I said, when you add in the coronavirus, it compounds that um, crisis that someone is experiencing in their home. It's another set of circumstances that make the crisis that much deeper. The one in four Mm -hmm. you cite, is is that a reported rate too? Yeah, so the, you know, statistics are always a little tricky. Um, And so one in four is kind of this national statistic that um, seems to always get kind of referred to. And and that could include, um, you know, it it, it includes the people who we know who have reported, like you were saying, that physical violence piece. But it doesn't include the piece that people might be reporting those pieces that um, might not be criminalized, you know, the verbal abuse, the financial mm-hmm. abuse, all these other pieces. Well, uh, th- that's a good place to, to spread things out here then, because we're not just talking about uh, about actual physical hitting. There's a lot of other kinds of domestic abuse that don't get to that level. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, and when you think about domestic violence, physical violence and sexual violence are those pieces that there's always those threat of those pieces, that threat of physical violence, that threat of sexual violence, and that's the more extreme or escalated measure. But what's happening in the day in and the day out, there's the financial abuse, which can, which can include someone not allowing to um, be able to have a job or someone not allowed to keep income from a job. It could include abuse regarding children. You know, if you leave, you're not going to be able to keep the kids. That's a huge reason that people stay in domestic violence relationships, too, when it comes to kids. So using children as pawns in that relationship. Um, it includes there's a lot of verbal and emotional abuse, a lot of um, demeaning that happens in relationships. There's a lot of isolation. And the coronavirus has really highlighted that because, unfortunately, right now, you know, we already struggle with people who are in domestic violence relationships who are being isolated from support networks. And right now that has just skyrocketed because not only are people unable to access a lot of their former um, social support networks, but there are a lot of essential services that have really 
had to diminish their um, role in playing a part in helping to solve this problem of domestic violence. And so people are really experiencing heightened levels of isolation right now. So the situations when uh, the the abuser says, uh, I don't want you to have a job, I don't want you to go anywhere, that's a lot easier to say in a situation where nobody gets to go anywhere. Exactly. And all those essential support services, you know, things are, you know, as everybody knows, things are... um, know, really diminished right now because of trying to keep everybody safe and healthy and alive. And so that is something that abusers are just capitalizing on to be able to further isolate the people that they are abusing. It could be from family and friends, you know, because people are trying to socially distance themselves. It could be from healthcare. You know, people might feel afraid to access healthcare potentially, and so abusers are capitalizing on that. And it even goes so far as the police because we keep hearing, you know, stories around um, incarcerated individuals who are getting COVID-19 and how there's really been a um, decreased capacity to uh, arrest and place people in jail because of of what's going on with COVID-19. And so you have somebody who is abusive, who recognizes that even if they're their partner, who they are abusing, decides to seek out and report this to the police, that the police might not even have the capacity to potentially arrest and put that person in jail, maybe because that person has symptoms of COVID-19, or maybe because the um, jail is trying to monitor, you know, their own situation to keep the incarcerated folks safe and healthy there, and they may be, you know, have a limited capacity to um, arrest and put someone there. So... It's an unfortunate side effect that's happening right now. Right. Okay. So a number of factors that would certainly uh, lead potentially to emboldening uh, people who are perpetrators of domestic abuse. Now, I would assume there'd be some concern here that that, uh, there's also an underreporting of domestic abuse, domestic violence, because of the fact that since people are not leaving the house, it's just harder for them to get the, the, the solo time to be able to pick up a phone and call for help. Absolutely. We are definitely recognizing that. And one of the things that we always do whenever somebody calls or reaches out to help is we always ask them, are they safe to talk? And we're seeing a lot more of people who are who we are having to do a lot more safety planning with when they're talking because they usually only have a minute here or can do a quick text message here. And so we're having to do a lot of creative safety planning so that we can be able to at least connect with somebody so that we can match them with services so that they can get out and be safe. COVID-19, weapon of mass incompetence. As of this writing, 10,000 people have died from the impacts of the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. 10,000. And unless I miss my guess, it ain't over yet. That's because the coronavirus is not slowing down. If anything, it's picking up speed. Almost Everything we've heard about the virus from the media during the first week is false or misleading. I'm not talking about the big idiots crowing about it's a hoax. It's not. Originally, it was a virus attacking old people. We now know better. Young people, including children and even infants, have succumbed to this disease. There was an old woman in Italy who contracted the virus. She was sick and then recovered. She was 102 years old. Viruses are living things, and like all living things, they surprise us. 
the U.S. government had months to prepare for the coming of the coronavirus. They treated it lightly, and nearly a thousand deaths a day proved that it is indeed deadly serious. We will see worse. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. The coronavirus pandemic has been a challenge to governments all over the world, but some seem to have coped better than others. Now many people are asking why and what can be done to be better prepared for a future emergency. In a few minutes, we'll speak with a longtime leader of several academic and medical institutions about what the U.S. should be doing now. But first, we're going to take up the question of whether the U.S. could have been better prepared. As you probably heard, President Trump has said on several occasions that no one could have foreseen this. This is a very unforeseen thing. Nobody ever thought of these numbers. Nobody ever saw numbers like this. I would view it as uh, as uh, something that just surprised the whole world. And if people would have known about it, it could have stopped, been stopped in place. Nobody knew there'd be a pandemic or an epidemic of this proportion. Nobody's ever seen anything like this before. This was something that nobody has ever thought could happen to this country. I'm not even blaming. Look. We inherited a broken situation, but I don't totally blame the people that were before me in this administration. Nobody would have ever thought a thing like this could have happened. But documents obtained by journalist Ken Klippenstein, Washington, D.C. correspondent for The Nation, suggest that is not true. He obtained internal Pentagon documents from 2017 during the Trump administration, and the report predicts with uncanny accuracy a scenario where a new virus spreads rapidly throughout the world, killing people and disrupting economies, and raising detailed warnings about a shortage of ventilators, face masks, and hospital beds. And Ken Klippenstein is with us now. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This document that you obtained is more than 100 pages long. What are one or two key takeaways? So to quote from one part, it says, quote, the most likely and significant threat is a novel respiratory disease, particularly a novel influenza disease. An outbreak in a single community can quickly evolve into a multinational health crisis that causes millions to suffer as well as spark major disruption in every facet of society. And unfortunately, that turned out to be quite prescient, I think. And and the report you obtained was written for what purpose? Who was meant to see it? This was a pandemic planning report. So the Defense Department likes to do these things so they can have plans in place to know how to respond when something like the coronavirus outbreak happens. This is something that much of the public, myself included, didn't know coming into this was just what kind of role the intelligence community and the military plays in what's called bio-threats which include, you know, sicknesses that occur naturally and also biowarfare, bioterrorism, that kind of thing. And so what I found, I think, really rebuts uh, the president's repeated assertions that, you know, we couldn't have seen where this was coming from. This is a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime event. Unfortunately, the intelligence community and the military were well aware of what um, could and unfortunately did happen, as not just this document shows, but uh, the intelligence products that they put out regularly. One always wants to know when people receive a document that is meant for internal use, you know, what the motivation is of the person or persons making that document available. What what do you understand about the motivation of the source? The motivation of my source, as well as many others in the military that I've spoken to, was to correct what they perceive as a false and frankly dangerous claim on the part of the White House that there was no way we could have foreseen the coronavirus epidemic that we're experiencing now. In fact, there were plenty of warnings and there was plenty of research into not just the likelihood that would happen, but the best response that one might adopt to ameliorate these problems. 
Um, this existed all over the military and intelligence community, and that's what they wanted to correct. It's remarkable the level of detail and foresight, frankly, that, that is in this report. For example, it says competition for and scarcity of resources will include non-pharmaceutical MCM, that's medical countermeasures, e.g. ventilators, devices, personal protective equipment such as face masks and gloves, medical equipment and logistical support. This will have a significant impact on the availability of the global workforce, unquote. Um, so it's just, it's remarkable that the report, number one, identifies a coronavirus as being the likely agent here and accurately predicts all of the things that are being, um, that is such a source of anxiety right now. Um, so I have to ask, is, is it surprising how accurate this is? I have to say that I was shocked, but talking to the folks in the military, they just laughed when I spoke to them and they said, we've known about this forever. Not specifically coronavirus. They've known about that. Um, as the individual I quoted earlier said, we've known about that for a few years now, but the threat of a highly transmissible pathogenic virus um, that targets the respiratory system. This was appreciated for at least the last 10 years. And before we let you go, the report offers these warnings, which, as we have both said, are uncannily accurate and, in fact, sort of eerily accurate and specific. Um, but did the report give recommendations for how to stop the worst of this from happening? Absolutely. That was the most important point of the report, and that's why these reports are generated, is so that they can have something on the books so that they can be prepared to respond to things. And so what it described is exactly what the CDC and the World Health Organization are, are recommending, which is social distancing, quarantining, use of face masks, preparation, not just telling people to use these things, but also instructing the federal government to have the logistics in place so that these are pre-positioned and ready for distribution quickly to meet a problem like this rapidly. That was Ken Klippenstein, Washington, D.C. correspondent for The Nation magazine. If you'd like to read his reporting for yourself, you can find a link to it on our website, npr.org. In Zoom meetings, racist slurs and hate speech keep showing up. Today, a civil rights group is meeting with the company to demand it do something about that. NPR tech correspondent Shannon Bond has the reporting, but first let me note Zoom is an NPR sponsor. Rashad Robinson first encountered the term Zoom bombing on social media. We started seeing people posting things and tagging, um, particularly me and others on at Color of Change in what they were experiencing. Color of Change is a nonprofit that advocates for racial equality, and Robinson is its president. People were tagging him in reports of Zoom attacks because so many of them involved racist slurs and harassment. Black women are having a church gathering and have people come in drawing, um, you know, genitalia and calling them the N-word. Robinson's group and others found evidence of organized campaigns out in the open on Twitter and Instagram, as well as on message boards popular with the far right. There, people shared links and passwords to coordinate attacks on unsuspecting Zoom users. This all comes as Zoom is being increasingly used for online school, Passover seders, town halls. Now, Color of Change says Zoom must take more responsibility. You know, we want them to release a specific plan to combat racial harassment on the platform. Among Robinson's list of demands, a chief diversity officer who would focus on how the technology impacts vulnerable people. Also, better security. And he wants a formal apology to victims. In a statement to NPR, Zoom says it takes security extremely seriously, and it looks forward to the discussion with Color of Change. But other groups are ringing alarms, too. 
The Anti-Defamation League has traced two attacks to a known white nationalist. Both involved virtual events held by Jewish groups. As more and more people are spending time at home, so are the extremists who are looking to find ways to leverage the technology to harass people. Oren Siegel runs the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. He spoke during a presentation the group gave on Zoom bombing. These are moments where people are trying to find community, trying to find opportunities to create normal discussion with colleagues, with friends, and with family. And that's why this is particularly disturbing. Law enforcement is watching. Michigan prosecutors warn hacking video conferences is a crime and there could be jail time. In recent weeks, Zoom has taken steps to make it harder for intruders to get into meetings. The company blocks IP addresses of attackers when people report harassment. But critics say it should be more proactive, given that these are problems that plague so many tech platforms. Zoom CEO Eric Yuen appeared on All Things Considered, where he was asked whether he should have anticipated such attacks by harassers. I never thought about this seriously. That answer reflects how UN envisioned Zoom in the first place. It was designed for business meetings. But now it's having to grapple with what happens when society at large logs on. Even more troubling, this new form of virtual harassment doesn't end with the Zoom meetings themselves. Joan Donovan studies online extremism at the Harvard Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center. A lot of these folks are taking a video or taking screenshots and then sharing them in other places. So we're seeing the artifacts of Zoom bombing show up on YouTube and on TikTok and on other video sharing platforms. And when that happens, it's hard for Zoom or any single company to end the vicious cycle. Shannon Bond, NPR News, San Francisco. Medical apartheid. The dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. The FBI's New York office is sending a memo to local police departments because there's some evidence indicating that white supremacists are encouraging people who have tested positive for COVID-19 to target certain individuals and spread the virus. Th these are the types of disgusting lunatics that we're dealing with in this country. So uh, from the memo, uh, it reads, members of extremist groups are encouraging one another to spread the virus if contracted uh, through bodily fluids and personal interactions. According to ABC News, the FBI alert told local police agencies that extremists want their followers to try to use spray bottles to spread bodily fluids to cops on the street. The extremists are also directing followers to spread the disease to Jews by going any place they may be congregated to include markets, uh, political offices, businesses, and places of worship. I Look, we're, we're hearing more and more stories about people who are breaking quarantine guidelines or rules and, you know, they're, they're being hit with fines. If someone is found guilty of actually doing this, of intentionally spreading this virus to anyone, including cops and members of the Jewish community, um, they need to be prosecuted criminally, period. Period. Yeah, it's, that's not even close. Yeah. Uh, no question about it. Uh, so let's break this down. Uh, number one, um, uh, if Black Lives Matter, uh, any one person, any one person in that uh, movement 
uh, had written a statement about how, hey, if you get coronavirus, uh, you make sure you capture your bodily fluids and try to kill cops with it. It would be news 24-7 on Fox News. Everybody knows that. That's a guarantee. Uh, and then it would be news 24-7 everywhere else because Fox would never let it go and people would say it's a giant story. Uh, and, and, and maybe you should be because that's so important. Um, and if a Muslim group decided to terrorize us with uh, COVID-19 by doing something similar, headline news 24-7 and you know it. Uh, white supremacists uh, plan to do it. God bless ABC News. We always give credit where credit uh, is due. The ABC covered it. And they got the internal memo on it. Uh, of course, as always, Southern Poverty Law Center tracking these extremists. They do wonderful work. But it's a blip, and then, then it goes away. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, white supremacists try to kill cops. Is that a thing that people know? Is that like a stereotype? Oh, white extremists hate cops? I, I bet you if you ask, 99% of Americans don't know that at all because those stories never, ever get covered. If you said, who hates cops more, black extremists or white extremists, I can actually show you dozens of crimes where white extremists actually killed cops. So there, yep. there's actually a factual answer to that, right, of who attacks cops more. Um, yes, there's been some black extremists not connected to Black Lives Matter uh, that did it as well, but dozens more on the white extremist side. But nobody thinks that because the media, if there is any story of someone who's black, Muslim, minority that goes after cops, makes a giant deal out of it. And I understand that. But whenever it's white nationalists, oops, no, shh, shh, those are good white people. We don't want to offend our viewers who are white and give us ratings. So we're not going to do that. On the other hand, it gets so scared of black people and Muslim people. That also helps our ratings. So that one we hype up like crazy. So that it drives me nuts. If everybody did give it fair coverage, then we would be happy to talk about that. Now, second part of this story. They always target Jewish Americans. So always. Yeah. At the end of every conspiracy theory is the Jews did. So, uh, and and look, this is why I uh, got so much out of the two conversations I had with two lunatics, David Duke and Alex Jones. So I did this years ago, and in both cases, you go all the way down the rabbit hole, you ask them over and over and over again, yeah, but what's the real problem, what's the real problem? Well, David Duke, it doesn't take much. He just tells you. He's just like, oh, it's the, it's the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, right? And so, because they don't actually think Latinos run the world. They don't think that the person uh, who's an immigrant across the border without a dollar actually controls the world. They think Jews control the world. Now, that isn't remotely true, obviously, obviously. But they particularly target Jews when things get really bad. Mm -hmm. Because that's when people are most animated, most upset, and most looking for a scapegoat, someone who secretly did it. And boom, every time fill in, and it's it's and as much as they hate Muslims, it's not Muslims either. It's the Jews who, and then of course in their conspiracy theories tracked by the Southern Poverty Law Center, these white nationalists say, oh yeah, they invented it in a lab. They're trying to kill us all. None of it makes any sense. I I remember in this case with Alex Jones, he he didn't say Jewish Americans, but when he got when we got to the end of the rabbit hole in that interview I did with him eight years ago or something. Uh, on his show, he said, oh, yeah, then the, the elites kill 90% of us because they care about money. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. How would they make money if they kill 90% of us? But, but it doesn't have to make sense because they're lunatics. So 
I, I hope to God that none of these guys actually carry any of this out. But the FBI uh, said in, in the ABC News story, we give this to local law enforcement because we have enough information to let them know it's real and they should look out for it. Locked up and locked down. For nearly a month now, all prisoners in Pennsylvania state prisons, over 40,000 men and women, have been locked down. What does lockdown mean? When I was on death row, all of us were locked down. As the saying went, 23 and 1, or for 23 hours a day, with one hour for out-of-cell exercise in a cage. After over a decade, it went to 22 and 2. But this lockdown is occasioned by the coronavirus. So meals in the chow hall, visits with family and friends, religious services, classes, prison jobs, all are offline. In the rare occasion a prisoner leaves the cell, he or she wears a paper or cloth face mask. Several states, like New Jersey, for example, has followed suit. And then there are county prisons, where the sheer overcrowding leads to chaos. In Philadelphia county prisons, an estimated 18 people, prisoners, have the virus. Then comes Cook County, Illinois, where over 400 men have tested positive for COVID-19. That's a county joint. For some men and women, being in prison in county jails isn't just something that resembles death row. For them, it will be a new death row. For that jail cell will be the place that they die. Mass incarceration is so much a part of American life that the opposite idea decarceration begins to sound crazy. But the truth is, it wasn't always this way. This scourge is the product of neoliberal politics. And if neoliberalism caused this problem, how can it ever solve the problem? From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. President Donald Trump has acknowledged, though, that racial disparities, particularly in the death toll from COVID-19, point to African-Americans being disproportionately affected as the United States suffered its largest daily death toll at close to 2,000 people. Evidence showed that black Americans are dying at a much higher rate than any other demographic as preliminary data points to disparities in health and access to health care. And amidst signs that the outbreak is beginning to plateau in hotspots like New York, President Trump is now threatening to withhold funding to the World Health Organization. Black American communities are being hardest hit by coronavirus, and it's now a matter that has caught the president's attention. And we're actively engaging on the problem of increased impacts. This is a real problem, and it's showing up uh, very strongly in our data on the African American community. And we're doing everything in our power to address this challenge. It's a tremendous uh, challenge. It's terrible. And provide support to 
African-American citizens of this country who are going through a lot, uh, but it's been disproportional. Uh, they're getting hit very, very hard. As the coronavirus has spread across the country, we are learning more about who is likely to be a victim of the disease. Early data shows black Americans appear far more likely to die after contracting COVID-19. That is one of a number of trends that you've asked us about. And here to help answer your questions once again is NPR science correspondent John Hamilton. Welcome back, John. Thank you. And also with us, Dr. Wayne Riley, who is president of SUNY Downstate Health Sciences University. The school's hospital has been designated a COVID-only facility, and it has seen a flood of patients suffering from the virus. Dr. Riley, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're very busy. Good evening, Michelle and John. And, and doc, so, Dr. Riley, I'll start with you. What do we know about how the coronavirus is affecting African-Americans? Well, Michelle and John, it is hitting African-American communities all across this nation particularly hard. And I should also add that Latino communities, at least on the East Coast, are being hit hard as well. Here in New York City, in Queens, which is predominantly uh, Latino, uh, 34% uh, death rate in New York City, uh, Brooklyn in particular, 28% death rate. So we are we are really um, sort of the epicenter of the focus in terms of how it is affecting black and brown communities. Um, and again, it, it, it's it, it's frustrating. It's painful. It's chilling and, and indeed a national tragedy. And, and, and just what about what you're seeing where you are in, in your facility is are these trends? Are you seeing these play out in your facility? Absolutely. Uh, we uh, have uh, predominantly. Uh, Afro-Caribbean and African-American population in central Brooklyn, which Flatbush area of Brooklyn. Ninety uh, percent of the patients we have admitted are either black or Afro-Caribbean. Uh, the youngest has been three-year-old, uh, a three-year-old, and an oldest, 98 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the patients have the typical pre-existing conditions that have often been talked about uh, throughout this uh, pandemic. And what that really is, John and Michelle, is high rates of diabetes, hypertension, asthma, congestive heart failure. And unfortunately, black and brown communities, particularly in urban centers around the country, have a very high incidence and prevalence of those uh, pre-existing conditions, which this virus has is like a focus, like a laser beam, unfortunately, on patients who have those conditions. And, and sort of amplifying that point, I'd like to play a, a call that we got from Laura in Nevada. There has been very little discussion regarding Native Americans and Latinos. Both of these groups suffer from similar chronic diseases as African Americans. I would like to see more awareness regarding the limited amount of water, electricity, and health care for Native Americans. So, Doctor, let me let me divide this question in half and, and just let's take the first half first, which is what do we know about the effect of COVID-19 on Latinos? And I don't know if you have any information on, on Native Americans, people living in reservations, tribal nations. Yeah, with regard yeah. to Latinos, Michelle and John, uh, we're seeing very high rates. As I, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Queens, uh, the borough of Queens, which has a large uh, population of Latino immigrants, uh, we have 34% death rate among those who have been diagnosed uh, with the disease. So it is extremely high uh, in the Latino communities in New York City metropolitan area. With regard to Native American populations, we are seeing significant issues with Native American populations. Hmm. Um, East Coast, we don't have as large of Native, Native American populations. But if you look out west, uh, the upper 
uh, Upper West. Uh, the Indian uh, Health Service is really grappling with the high percentage, uh, the same issues that I just mentioned in terms of, of black and brown uh, patients having with high rates of diabetes, hypertension, congestive heart failure are existing in the Native American population as well. So again, they are perfect, unfortunately, set up uh, to contract this virus. Hmm. I'm going to I'm going to ask John to tackle this next one. And this is from Karen in California. Similar question from what we just heard. Here it is. How is the coronavirus affecting the Native American population in the United States? And if there are obvious disparities, what is being done to address this issue? Thank you, John. Well, we've obviously heard heard a little bit, but let me throw in a, a couple of of numbers that I that I looked up. Um, uh, Navajo Nation in Southwest is talking about 500 cases and 20 deaths. The Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma has reported at least one death. The Indian Health Service is is reporting at least 750 confirmed cases nationwide. But the the impression that that I get is that these are probably just hints at what is really going on. The you know the the Indian Health Service doesn't have a lot of resources to track an outbreak like this, and for that matter, not all tribes choose to report health information to the government. So uh, you know what's being done? Well. Tribal leaders say, frankly, not much. Um, one thing I do know is happening is that uh, reservations have begun uh, making available technology that allows people to interact with the doctor via a computer or a cell phone rather than in person to reduce the risk of, of spreading the infection. And, and John, let's take a step back from all of these questions. In fact, you and I talked about this, this, this on All Things Considered this weekend. How easy is it to track the data on racial disparities with this virus? <laughs> not not very, at least not not yet. I mean, the information has been spotty and, and coming from certain areas. And, you know, there are a number of reasons. One one is that when doctors order a test for the virus, they don't necessarily include a lot of information about the patient. So when a test comes back positive, um, you often need to go back and extract all that detailed information about race and many other things from the patient's chart. That information needs to go to the local state health department, then on to federal officials. And so far, that process isn't producing uh, the amount of information you would like to know about race. Another problem is death certificates. They usually do have information about race. Unfortunately, it often comes from a funeral director, and it turns out that funeral directors are pretty, pretty accurate when they say whether a person is white or black but not so good at identifying whether a person is Hispanic. And, and they're really, um, you know, studies have shown they're not so good at, at saying whether somebody is, say, Native American or uh, Alaskan Native. If you have a question for Dr. Wayne Riley or John Hamilton about the disparities in outcomes for coronavirus patients, send it to us at npr.org slash national conversation or share it on social media using the hashtag NPR conversation. We're going to need to take a break, a short break in a minute, and both of our guests are going to stay with us, but I think we can squeeze another one in. Dr. Riley, this is for you. Here's another question we received. This is Everett Barr from Portland, Oregon. My question is, Given the impact of the coronavirus on individuals with underlying health issues, I wonder if we might find higher mortality rates in cities or zip codes with higher rates of underlying disease. Basically, are our least healthy communities at most risk? Dr. Riley? Yes, that that is exactly right. In fact, here in Brooklyn, we have tracked two zip codes contiguous to our hospital that have the highest numbers of positive patients and unfortunately, the highest rates of death. So the zip code analysis uh, that your questioner just uh, just uh, presented is, is factual. Uh, the, we've long known that the zip code sometimes is a better tracker of the 
extent of health disparities than even other data. So, yes, we, are, we see it clearly here in Brooklyn. I'm here with NPR's John Hamilton and Dr. Wayne Riley, president of SUNY Downstate, and we are talking about your questions about disparities in treatment and outcomes for coronavirus patients. Dr. Riley, Bruce in Ohio writes, are we looking at the genome of the people who have perished to see if there is a particular group that is more susceptible to COVID-19? Could some of the differences in outcomes be genetic? Yes, our hypothesis is that there could be a strong genetic component, and this will be sort of a major focus of research going forward after we sort of get through this first uh, iteration of the pandemic, uh, uh, because the genomic aspects of the pre-existing conditions in the populations, whether it be uh, Native Americans in the West or around the country, or uh, Latinos here in in New York City or other parts of the country, or African-American or Afro-Caribbean patients, there has to be some genomic aspect that makes them particularly susceptible uh, to this virus, even when compared to their their non-minority compatriots who may have the same level of pre-existing conditions. So we, our colleagues and I were just talking about this today, that this will be a vigorous, active avenue of investigation going forward. John, we have a question from a listener named Logan on the topic of gender. Most of the data on COVID-19 is split into male-female categories. However, my friends and I are mostly trans, and we can't find any data on how it might affect us differently. Is there any data out there on how COVID-19 affects trans people? What about intersex people? Thank you, and stay safe. John, what do we know about gender and coronavirus? Well, I, I think you I, I think you said early on in the show that that when we don't know the answer, we're gonna we're gonna fess up to that. So I, yep. I, this is generally going to be in that category. I mean, we do know something about males and females. You know, it looks like males who get infected are a bit more likely to die than females. But so far, I have not seen any statistics on trans people or intersex people. I have seen studies suggesting those groups have more health problems, report more health problems, which would raise their risk. And then there are, you know, funny things like sex hormones can affect the immune system, but not in the kind of simple way that it would necessarily affect your risk for coronavirus. So we don't know. I I think it's important to be candid about that, don't you? I mean, so um, not tell people what we don't know. I think that's also transparency. All right, here's a question about a a disparity that is well known. This is Jessica from Loudoun County, and here's her question. Are there many cases of older adults over 70 recovering from COVID-19 or do the vast majority of people in that age group ultimately die from the virus? John, do we know? Oh, well, um, first of all, thanks, Jessica, for asking a question that has an answer and one that's, that's actually not not such a downer. Um, yes, lots of older adults recover. I mean, it, it's true that your odds get lower as you get older, but not by that much. So, you know, for people between 65 and 84 in the U.S., we're still looking at roughly 90 to 95 percent survive the infection. And, and even people older than 85, um, it looks like, you know, somewhere upward of 80 percent of them survive. So, you know, those numbers should probably remind us, one, why it's so important to keep older people from getting infected. But it also should remind us that it's not like if you pass a certain age, uh, you're doomed. Well, thank you for that. And thank you both NPR's John Hamilton and Dr. Wayne Riley, president of SUNY Downstate. Thank you both so much for talking with us today and answering these questions. Thank you so much. 
If you have questions, send them to us at npr.org slash national conversation or on social media. Use that hashtag NPR conversation. This is the national conversation with all things considered from NPR News. But one of the things that they said is that being black in America is like a plane load, a jumbo jet load of black people with nothing but black people in it falling out the sky, everyone in the plane is killed, every day of every year. What? Wow. Wow. So that's what I mean. That the health disparities is not just some, oh, you know, uh, we have a little bit more diabetes, we have a little bit more, we have more HIV. Uh, you know, in fact, I think the disease model of dealing is, is, dilutes the fact that black people are dying from everything more than white people, and it's not related to class. Mm. So it's not about being poor, which is the first place that a lot of people like to go. Well, yeah, there's more black, more blacks are poor than, and so that's why it is. No, that's not why it is. Uh, in fact, the studies show that one study showed that uh, poor blacks in this county outlived poor. I mean, excuse me, poor whites outlived poor blacks in this particular county. By three years. Hmm. A lot of time, right? Yes, ma'am. Middle class whites outlived middle class blacks by 10 years. Wow. Now, it's true that poor blacks live longer, I mean, middle class blacks live longer than middle class whites. That's true. I mean, poor whites, I always have to say this over. Middle class blacks live longer than poor blacks. But middle-class whites live longer than middle-class blacks and significantly longer. Uh, I mean, 10 years is a lot of difference compared to three years between poor whites and poor blacks. Mm. So... When I say being black in this society is dangerous, anything that kills you is dangerous. In some parts of this country, black Americans are dying at high rates of COVID-19. Here's an example. As of Monday, in Milwaukee County, nearly three-quarters of the residents who died of the virus were black. But black Americans make up only 28% of the county's population. Data from Louisiana, Michigan, Chicago, and New York also shows racial imbalances. What is going on? At a coronavirus task force briefing this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci talked about systemic challenges. Health disparities have always existed for the African-American community. But here again with the crisis, how it's shining a bright light on how unacceptable that is. He means things like underlying health conditions, lack of insurance, substandard housing, challenges caused and then exacerbated by racism. Jamil Lacey spends a lot of time thinking about those challenges. He studies health disparities in South Central Los Angeles. He says there's another challenge here, too, misinformation. When the pandemic first started, um, there were 
a lot of rumblings around like this being a hoax. I've heard stories about people believing that, you know, black people were immune to coronavirus. Misinformation is not unique to black Americans. If you were watching Fox News last month, you might have seen white pundits suggesting that COVID-19 was being blown out of proportion, that it was a hoax. But there is, Jamil says, a longstanding mistrust that some black Americans feel toward the public health establishment. It is not causing infections, but it's real. You know, I think in order to understand the depth of distrust Black people have towards healthcare institutions, having an awareness of the long history of medical experimentation on Black people is important. Oftentimes when we talk about distrust, you know, between Black people and, and healthcare, people will bring up the Tuskegee experiment. You know, it was a 40-year study, 40 years, um, that was conducted by our government, the U.S. Public Health Service, where Black men with syphilis went untreated. And the purpose of that experiment was to chronicle the progression of the disease. These men were getting sick and doctors knew why but weren't telling them why they were getting sick. Exactly. And I think that it also extends to when you think about if a vaccine is being created for this virus, like Vice President Pence talked about an experimental drug being used on 3,000 patients in Detroit. And so there's a lot of, you know, just skepticism about that because, you know, this is a drug that hasn't, the research around this drug hasn't really been very sound. And what they're proposing to do is to use this drug with Black patients. Did the vice president come out and say, we want to test the drug on Black Americans? Or was the assumption, if you're testing it in Detroit, a majority Black city, you are going to be testing it on Black Americans? You know, that Detroit is a predominantly Black city. But yes, it was an assumption made that this would only be used for Black patients. Absolutely. We talked to Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy on the show. He's a medical doctor. His state is seeing a disproportionate number of deaths among black residents. Here's what he had to say. African-Americans are going to have more of those receptors inherent in their having the diabetes, the hypertension, the obesity, and inherent in them having an overrepresentation of that. So there's a physiologic reason which is explaining this. Is he right? To what extent is he right or is he wrong? Um, I find his statements to be a little dishonest and lazy. So the fact of the matter is, yes, hypertension and diabetes are silent killers, and they also are what we find in patients that are being impacted by the coronavirus in our communities. But what I think we're actually the, the real issue here is that the coronavirus is unmasking what I consider the negligence and disinvestment in Black communities that we've been forced to live with for generations. Um, and the, just the reality is that these conditions are a function of, of poverty, right? And so when we talk about these things, we have to consider the full picture and not just um, place the blame on individuals. Jamil Lacey, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Jamil Lacey researches health disparities in South Central Los Angeles. New York, New York. New York City continues to be the epicenter of the pandemic in the United States. And within the city, some of the hardest hit places are minority neighborhoods in Queens, places like Elmhurst and Jackson Heights. I'm joined now by City Councilman Francisco Moya, who represents those neighborhoods. Councilman Moya, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So we've heard about the racial disparity with the coronavirus, with it disproportionately affecting black and Latino residents. Those communities are overrepresented in the estimated death count, according to the city's latest data. Have you seen that? Well, yeah, I'm, look, this is not nothing new for us. Um, I think, you know, I've been on the ground since day one uh, talking about how this has had a profound impact on the Latino community and the African-American community for a few reasons. Um, one, when that tidal wave 
just crashed on Elmhurst Hospital, uh, I was on the phone with the CEO of the hospital uh, talking about what does that look like in terms of patient makeup. Uh, 70% of the inpatients that came in those first few days were Latinos, all from the surrounding community. the reason why is because the majority of them are in the hospitality or service industry. They're, they don't have the ability to telecommute from home. Um, they're the ones that are delivering our food while you know we're safe inside. They're the ones that are manning the, the cash registers and stocking the aisles in our supermarkets. Uh, they've been thrown into being this kind of frontline uh, uh, support that has been keeping the city uh, alive as we go through this process, but they have been the hardest impacted by this because they have to work. They have to be out there exposed to the elements, uh, which has created this problem for us. Yeah. So what would you say right now are the primary concerns for people in your district? Do you think uh, these fears and struggles that they have are, are different than what people in other boroughs are grappling with? Yeah, no, I think it's it, it, it's it's more severe. Um, if you look at the statistics that are coming out um, for the borough of Queens, we are at close to 30,000 uh, that have been I- infected by COVID. 1,700 uh, have died just in my district alone. And one of the major problems that we're facing right now is the uh, inability for people to bury their loved ones because they lack the money and they lack their status. So here in New York, uh, we have a a program through HRA that provides uh, burial assistance, but you need to have uh, a social security number. Uh, You know, they give up to $900 for burial and cremation. But at the moment right now, we have a lot of people in the Latino community that are undocumented. Uh, we also have people uh, that are poor and uh, uh, working class that can't afford this right now. I'm asking, uh, and I've talked to the mayor and the city of New York, I'm working with the, uh, our speaker, Corey Johnson, to expand that program so that we can bring some relief uh, to families who uh, will be able to afford to bury their loved ones as opposed to us seeing the images of people uh, in mass graves at Hart Island uh, this is what you see in in some war torn countries, not what you're accustomed to seeing in New York City. So, Councilman, I'm sure you've worked for a lot of causes uh, in your time there. It's it's really sad that the cause you're working for right now is to help people finance the burials of their loved ones. Look, it, it, it it's heartbreaking, right? Uh, these people are my friends. They're my neighbors. They're my constituents uh, that are crying out for help right now. Uh, in a time where they can't even uh, really grieve for the loss of their loved ones. But, uh, you know, this stemmed from uh, a constituent that had reached out on behalf of a a young child who lost their mother uh, due to COVID-19. The father is on a a ventilator, won't know if they'll make it it through the next week. Uh, This child will be orphaned. They don't have the money or the uh, ability to pay for the burial. The hospital is calling them saying, you have to pick up the body. They're not documented. It just breaks my heart to know that this is what's happening. And I think as a city, we really need to push to get and expand the program that would open it up for New Yorkers who are 
poor working class New Yorkers uh, who lack the affordability. The status shouldn't matter. You know, we are all in this together. Uh, I've reached out through my connections through the private sector to help with, with some of the, the, the cost. But my proposal is to get the city to uh, change its policy, expand that program and open it up for uh, the most needy and most vulnerable yeah. uh, in our time right now. Well, keep up the good work, Councilman. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 11, 2020. So I have been told. I think retired firefighter, maybe two weeks ago was saying that people might not take things seriously in the States until they start with mass grave sites, because we are not accustomed to that type of thing. Weeks. Here we are in New York. Incidentally, if anybody, uh, we do have listeners in New York. So if anybody, uh, in the New York area, tri-state area, they call it, uh, any folks, any evidence that that is not accurate, not correct. Thomas in New York, any of our other folks, that would be good to know. But I think that's accurate. I've heard that many, many times <laughs> over the past week or so. As I said, they were even uh, talking in the New York Times. I think someone had mentioned uh, the possibility of, of mass graves in the park in New York City. Strange times. Uh, this is our compensatory call in. <clears throat> They did say that that was not going to happen. They were not doing burials in the park, but that was one thing that was reported this week. Compensatory call in, uh, dial in. If you have thoughts, questions, observations, uh, you would like to share the number six, zero five, three, one, three, five, one, six, four, the code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six, one. If you would like to participate number again six zero five three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate lots to share uh, we'll get to our listeners a uh, few things to touch on. Uh, let's see. We should be here uh, frequently throughout the coming week. I don't think we'll be on tomorrow, Sunday, but there should be a number of programs. I'm double checking for Wednesday. The book club should be Thursday neutralizing workplace racism Friday. We should have our global Sunday talk on racism, uh, not tomorrow, Sunday, but a week from tomorrow that should be back. And, uh, there should be other programs even before we get to everything on Thursday. So just, you know, check black talk radio network or the Facebook page. Um, we should be broadcasting. As I said last month, uh, the goal, try to see if we can be regular, consistent, uh, and hopefully providing constructive 
information, not just wasting time. Uh, this is serious worldwide, serious times. So we do not have time and or energy to waste. Certainly not with the cows if it is not providing constructive information. Uh, many things. Let's see. With the the Zoom report, we had talked about that before. Uh, people being on the platform doing some sort of video conferencing, church group getting together. I think the report we had from last week it was a black male. He was going in to defend his dissertation. <laughs> they came in and had penises all over and nigger this and all the rest of it. Uh, in that report today, though, they said coordinated, organized. They could see the evidence that this wasn't just some, you know, random, that this was thought out in advance. We are under a global pandemic and you have race soldiers who are sitting at home. They're not plotting on how to get toilet paper, but they said at the end, we're all in this together. They're not sitting at home making masks. Do it yourself. Hand sanitizer. They're sitting at home. Okay. Now we're going to synchronize at zero 800 hours. The Negras will gather for their church meeting. We will get online. Paul, you'll have the penises ready to plaster. We'll do nigger coon spear chucker. John, you'll do the stream and we'll all be online by 7.30 a.m. Synchronous. I mean, what in the world? Who is the racist man, racist woman, racist child? I have not heard one report of black people anywhere. Oh, yeah, we are going to get together. We are putting penises, cracker, all of it. We're disrupted. Not one. Tons of them. Church. I mean, church groups, the religion of white supremacy. We can't burn down churches because we're under quarantine, but we will certainly disrupt these niggers church service online. One idiot <clears throat> comes on this here broadcast on a regular basis. We've had a lot of programs this week, so I got to say it a whole lot of times. Sobriety would be best. Can you imagine being in a part of the world where they say, ah, ah, ah. We got the Chinese virus. We are suspending alcohol sales. You talk about riot and anarchy like, whoa, <laughs> if they did that and then have the audacity to say there might be some health reasons. You know, we don't want people to be all at home by themselves and just drinking. You know, that's not healthy. And alcohol suppresses your immune system and leads to domestic violence. So there are a lot of reasons, you know, we don't want to contribute to that. We'll, we'll hold on. And even to have the audacity to just, you know, I don't exactly think liquor is an essential product right now. We got other things that we need. Wow. Sobriety would be best. And I just posted yesterday. Uh, where I, actually, I've posted many times because there have been many, many reports. Uh, this has been going on for about a month now. Uh, there have been many reports all over the world. Wow. Skyrocketing rates of domestic abuse. No surprise. You got people, you know, quarantined, stuck at home, stressed uh, about all of this system of white supremacy. It's not like we promote, you know, kindness, understanding. 
you know, being gentle. That's not promoted. You sit at home and watch uh, Tiger King and, you know, don't F with cats and all the other brutality on Netflix. I mean, yeah, you'd probably be ready to go upside somebody's head. Um, But yeah, I thought that was extremely report important. And again, reminder, Mr. Fuller, first time, last time, I think one of the early reports that I shared on domestic abuse, I said, this is why you want to have a great code about that. You do not want to be quarantined with a brute male or female. And as opposed to, you know, toilet paper and all the other concerns, I got a man. I hope we are not in a brawl today. I don't, I don't have to defend myself. Like what in the world? Like, uh, first time, last time, first time, last time. Uh, let's see. The cows yoga retreat. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, the football programs for the NCAA and even the NFL and such are struggling, trying to figure out what they're going to do in August. I am as well, both with Toronto and may the border is still closed. Uh, I was thinking, wow, you know, we could postpone, but then I'm not really sure uh, if when things will settle, it's uh man, like uh difficult, very, very difficult to even try to figure out what to do, but uh, hopefully there will be some clarity, figure things out within the next couple of days and can make some definitive decisions. But wow, it has been uh, disruptive. I feel everybody on the planet about how many things and to have constructive things that were right in line with what we should be doing. No alcohol, eating correctly, exercise, all of the constructive things that we should be doing like, man, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to give updates on that once I figure it out in the same condition with everybody else being confused. Um, let's see next. The number of responses uh, to, I think it's been this past week. I think last Friday was about the first time since all this started that I saw a report uh, talking about black people being impacted. And it was in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana specifically last week. And so then after that, it's just been an endless cascade uh, of black people all over the United States uh, having a, a much more uh, deadly impact with the virus uh, in terms of if they catch it, uh, it being fatal and even a high number of black people testing positive. Uh, I thought it was important uh, in that final report. They're talking about the number of essential workers. I said that yesterday on uh, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, it was significant to me, the number of folks who participated in that program uh, who called in or who emailed in, who identified as essential workers. And we're talking about their experience. Uh, and people were saying that that right there, uh, where a lot of victims of racism, they don't have that option to just keep their footies on and stay at home and, you know, hop online, do some zoom harassment when they want to take a little break, get a nutty bar, and then, you know, go back to doing work for a lot of victims. They don't have that option. They got to go out and, you know, hope for the best. That I think is significant. Uh, the reports even have to give a pause one of the uh, hopefully one of the folks that will be participating in some of the programs coming up this week. Uh, one of our listeners uh, in China, he was a guest on the program back in 2011. You can go in the archives uh, and hear that broadcast. But he was a guest or he, he uh, 
emailed me before the Global Sunday talk on racism in March. Linked the email and I read the email in its entirety on that broadcast, but he predicted that black people in the U.S. would have a very tough time with the virus and he laid out all the reasons that you heard in that audio clip about diet, health, medical apartheid. He explained all of that. I read it last month on the Global Sunday Talk. Anytime folks are uh, in the business of making counter-racist predictions, Dr. Welsing encouraged us to do that as attempted counter-racist scientists. So I am hoping uh, that we can have him uh, either on a program live or something uh, to get some participation because he was, you know, there in China for the quarantine and kind of saw all of this unfold, uh, saw all of this evolve. And that was his prediction uh, about what was going to happen here. Anyway, uh, but there have been uh, starting Saturday, Sunday, just started to be an endless stream of reports, black people in New Orleans, black people in Chicago, black people in Milwaukee, all across the country, uh, suffering at higher rates uh, from the virus. The response to this has been interesting. Uh, I said just myself, it is a little, it's jarring uh, to wake up, I think, and see that daily. Uh, and for all of these different locations, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, they just keep, you know, that certainly is jarring. Um, paying attention to the response to that has been not interesting, peculiar in many respects. Uh, there's certainly, I feel like there's been a good bit of uh, a victim blaming uh, where I've heard uh, people saying that black people didn't take this seriously and uh, that, you know, black people, you know, just doing doing things to not be helpful. And, you know, that's very common. That's in Harriet A. Washington, a terrible thing to waste uh, where black people get mistreated or something bad happens to black people. And invariably, we find a way to blame uh, the victims. Uh, as I've said the whole time, uh, the, I just posted the New York Times. They have had, I won't say an endless stream, but it's, it has not been one anomalous report. It's been quite a few uh, documenting white people generally uh, like 1920s uh, or late teens, 20s whites uh, who have not taken this seriously, who have been out at the beach, kayaking, underage drinking, anything you can think of. Uh, you know, Rona be damned. I'm getting a tan. Wellsing moment. Uh, I just posted one today uh, or even uh, in some instances, they did get the virus and died. They reported in some instances. So I don't even know what the comparison is for people who say that black people didn't or are not taking this seriously. That aside, uh, some of the other responses, they too have been peculiar. Uh, illustrations uh, I've heard uh, several people suggest that these reports talking about black people being devastated by this virus in the US I've heard some people say that they are attempting to make the face of the virus a black person or black people in the US I thought about that again now this is happening globally you know it's not like this is just a US thing I started thinking, you know, naming folks who have the virus that I can think of, like naming individuals. And the first person I thought of was Boris Johnson. 
Prime Minister of the UK. Uh, he was in the intensive care unit most of this week. Uh, they were even uh, looking at rules of succession because there was some talk rumor that he might die. I mean, intensive care unit is serious. Next person. Uh, I thought it was Rudy Gobert. Talked about him at the beginning. Now, he is a non-white male, black male, but he wasn't born in the U.S. We talked about that. That even came up during some of the talk about uh, black people being immune when this started and people saying, you know, black people don't catch. And I said, but Rudy Gobert, they said he tested positive. And people said, well, Rudy Gobert was born in France. You know, he's lighter complexion, so he's not really associated with like black people. OK, I kept thinking other people, Tom Hanks, suspected racist. Remember Forrest Gump? Uh, I kept the Idris Elba. Same thing. Now you got another black person not born in the States. He's darker, but okay. Uh, I kept Donovan Mitchell. Now it took me five people to even think of a black person actually born in the United States. And uh, by the time I got to one, they said he is no longer positive. Like, you know, yeah, I think they said Rudy Gobert infected him. They think, and you know, he's healthy and waiting for the season to restart. Those are the five people that I thought of. Uh, that's not my interpretation but I could be in error that's one of the responses that I've heard uh, one of the other responses that I heard uh, when they were giving the statistics about the rates of black people either catching the virus or it being fatal uh, some people said well, where are the statistics for the rates at which white people are catching the virus and or dying I have seen some of those statistics this week uh, that information is becoming more readily available. If you believe those statistics, that's another thing. But I have seen uh, some of those statistics from this week. Uh, I think before this week, I wasn't seeing reports saying specifically like white people are dying at this rate or this. Now, those reports about white people not taking it seriously and being at the beach. Oh, yeah. They were identifying white people specifically. Uh, in those reports, but that's a little different. Uh, the other thing I'd add is because it's global, they have been talking about Italy for like a month now, like before New York City, like Italy was being ravaged, still is really uh, by all of this, where they had thousands of people. And that's a much smaller, what they call country, smaller population. Uh, and I don't think most people think of, you know, the Italians as chocolate country, like uh, meds, uh, might be white people who are lower on the totem pole of white supremacy racism, lower on the racial hierarchy. But I still think uh, the bulk of the individuals who reside in that area of the world are classified as white and they have been devastating. They've been talking about that regularly. Same thing for Spain, uh, Germany, even they haven't had the same level of death rates, but uh, it was doing quite a job there as well. So I have seen quite a bit uh, of those reports where they're talking about how this is doing a job on whites entire white countries uh, in fact Australia too I forgot about them uh, let's see uh, one of the update they showed for Chicago we were talking a lot about Chicago on the program just read packing the men and everything uh, and Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington she'll be on the program a week from Wednesday uh, which is Earth Day no less uh, we kind of jointly uh, picked that but very uh, excited to chat it up with her uh, but they showed the statistics saying that 70%, I think it's dropped now to 67%, they say, or it was 72%, excuse me, 72% of the black people or the people uh, who've died from the virus in Chicago are black. As I said, I believe it's 67 is the most recent number that I've heard for Chicago specifically. I saw some folks who saw that number 
And I said, now, wait a minute. What do you mean that 72% of the black people in Chicago have the virus? I saw that a number of times. And I said, well, that's not what it said. It said 72% of the folks who've died from the virus are black. So I saw that a few times. Uh, let's see. What's one of the other ones? There are a few others, but they've generally been comments that have made me think people are resistant to think that somehow they think that this is not true, uh, that they think racists are lying, putting out this information about, you know, black people uh, suffering greatly uh, from the coronavirus. Uh, most of the response, I can't retract all of those responses that I've heard thus far have not been logical. It might be that I am not understanding. It might be that I need to hear it explained differently. Maybe I need to hear it, have it verbalized differently. Maybe that's the case, but all of the responses that I've heard thus far that suggest that this information specifically about black people in the U S suffering from this tremendously questioning if that's true some thought that that is a lie that that isn't the case they don't seem logical to me if anyone has that position feel free I'm just going to evaluate for logic like really anytime we're about the business of counter racism we should be about evaluating for logic I am not always logical myself so we all have to be mindful of that but especially in times of emergency and anytime you got white people buying a whole lot of guns and saying it's an emergency I'd say it's time to be serious. We should really be about logic. So hopefully we can all exchange views and uh, look for logic. And if, if there's an absence of logic, hopefully that can be pointed out. And yeah, we can, we can try and figure things out as best we can. Next. Uh, I'm very serious about the, uh, the mass graves in New York. Uh, speaking of, you know, not believing if any of the folks in the New York area, any evidence, reason to think that that is not happening mass graves then that would be good to know uh, anything else I'm sure there are other things I guess last thing I'll get in I know everybody is you know stressed gusty everybody grand hopefully we can still have uh, courteous constructive uh, dialogue share views thoughts about what's happening uh, I would like to uh, courteously kindly request if folks could uh, refrain from interrupting and talking over me specifically Uh, I do generally mute my line if I'm going to snicker or name call or anything else while you all are talking I don't talk over you all so I would like to ask if we could reciprocate please do not talk over me that includes when you get your turn and you take your five minutes and you speak Please do not do the, I'm going to fake old Gusty out. I'm done. And then they wait till I get started. Oh, wait a minute. I got about 10 more things. Really make an effort. Are you really done? Is that everything that you have to share? As opposed to waiting for Gus to start talking and then deciding that you have another 20 things to say. If we could stop doing that, that would be grand. Uh, And just interrupting me, period. I would really appreciate What made me make sure I had to say something about this was I was talking on Thursday and I specifically was talking about books that we've read in the book club that I wanted to stop immediately. And so I was giving out my list. (laughs) That list includes Black Love is a Revolutionary Act, the worst book 
ever. That list also uh, includes Frantz Fanon, Wretched of the Earth, formerly worst book ever. There are some other books on that list, uh, but I am sure I would have to go back and look at the list. I'm talking to wrap up the program and we have people yelling out the hate you give. No, that is not on that list. The reason important, the reason that book is not on that list. I knew enough information, Cowbell. I knew enough information about that book before we started. I already expected this is going to be loathsome, but that was a study counter racist exercise. Why is this being promoted to children? So that was totally different motivation. No way. Uh, I was going to stop that book. I didn't care what was written in it. Let's study. We're going uh, to the end. So that is not on that list. Uh, interrupting and yelling out incorrect information. Woof. Please do not interrupt me when I'm talking. Thank you kindly. You will have five uninterrupted minutes to share give your suggestions, observations, questions. Uh, If you are in a loud area, if you could use your mute button, that would be appreciated. Just make sure that we don't have to grapple, compete with unnecessary distractions, noise uh, in the background. Uh, If you can, well, it should be quiet, right? Like, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be loud. I mean, unless you got a whole lot of folks watching television or something, it shouldn't be. Like we got jamborees and birthday parties going on. So, uh, yes, unless you have TV or something like that on, if you could find a quiet area, use your mute button. Unmute so that you can share and then you can mute. Uh, If you need to speak again, you can just unmute and share. Uh, Everybody should have five minutes to discuss just to make sure that everybody gets at least one chance to share. Again, if you have additional comments or thoughts, uh, we should have extra time for folks to give an additional question, thought, observation. For this one program, I request if we could not use metaphors, uh, frequently racists, they will employ metaphors, analogies, similes uh, to practice deception Uh, often they'll take two concepts and insist these are identical exactly the same and frequently they are not Uh, victims myself included we've been exposed to this misconduct for a long time and many of us we are still learning Uh, as such sometimes we don't have uh, all of the logic to articulate our views And so sometimes we'll substitute a metaphor analogy to finish our thought. Frequently, this contributes to more confusion. Uh, If we could speak uh, directly, precisely in articulating ourselves, that would be great. Uh, I will prompt about the metaphors. Much obliged. Number again, 605-313. Five one six four. Decode five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Let's see. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up. Line should be open. Uh, if you have. Oh, there's. <laughs> Greetings, Emmy. Good to see you. I uh, had not seen her for a second. Good to see you. 
let's see. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up. If you have comments, questions uh, to share, line should be oh, open. Oh, no, no. Thank you. You button. Appreciate it. Wow. That is a lot of folks. Now, uh, I will just repeat what I said just because I thought we would have, you know, captive audience folks are stuck at home it's saturday can't go out and you know do all the partying and such i thought that would be the case (laughs) i did it again i did it again i just that's exactly what i was just talking about that is exactly what i was just talking about yes we can hear you um i'm gonna finish my thought now since i uh started i did think we would have a lot of uh captive listeners uh since folks are at home but it is still exactly what i said uh hopefully constructive information you're not about wasting time you should be getting constructive information if you are tuning in listening to the program even under captive situations uh, folks could be reading cleaning cooking lots of constructive important things there now finish yeah it's so disruptive like once you get started you're talking and then people are talking over you man Thomas in New York yes sir Yes, sir. Great. Good evening, Gus. Good evening to all the callers. Um, man, I don't agree with the alcohol being. Um, I'm not a drinker, uh, but you know, I see that as you know, a communistic type act. Um, I don't know. I just you know, um, being things. Just, just seems like we're moving ahead to a socialist type of, um, you know, way of doing things. Um, democratic socialism, maybe. I don't know. It's just, I don't like that. Um, also, Gus, I don't know. Um, when I look at who is behind the business we call the United States of America, world government and globalism today, um, I seem to find the same thing as the white nationalists. Um, it happens to be this, this very homogenous group of white people, most homogenous group of white people in the world called the Jews. So, and logically speaking, um, the designation of Jewish is a designation other white supremacists allow that one group to have, um, which is, you know, just showing their power. I mean, uh, it also... Um, neo-Nazi skinheads and other white nationalist groups who have come to this conclusion. I don't see them doing anything about it. <laughs> I don't see them doing anything to them. Um, so that pretty much lets me know who got the power um, in the system. Um, transgenders want to know if the coronavirus affects them differently. And at first I said, wow, man, it's, this is actually a question in 2020. Um, but then I started thinking about it and said, well, that might be a valid question. Um, no one knows the long-term effects of hormone injections or how that affects the immune system. Um, having gender reassignment, how that affects, you know, when your body doesn't produce certain hormones anymore, how that affects the immune system. So um, that's a, probably a good question. And it seems like doctors just don't know. 
Um, so I guess we'll, in, over the years, we'll start getting books and stuff about the differences. Um, however, um, lastly, um, now I have seen uh, plane loads and bus loads of doctors and nurses coming to New York, heading from all over the country. And I saw a report on New York One um, where they said that they're being paid between $4,000 and $10,000 a week. And I said, whoa, that's a that's a hefty sum. Um, and um, no one's really, it's hard to bury your loved one right now. Um, mass graves in New Jersey and on Potter's Field. Um, some funeral homes are telling people that if the bodies are contaminated, they won't do the session. Um, but most of them are taking them, but it's a long waiting list. Uh, only 10 people per ceremony, if you can schedule one or afford it. Um, the price is expensive, and it, it, everything is being rushed. It has to be done right away. It's no wait. So that's one of the things that's um, – you can't have a GoFundMe or sell some chicken dinners to, to pay for it. It's not time for that right now. Um, it's only one or two crematories in New York State, um, and none of them in the city. They're upstate. So the um, crematories are also backed up. So um, mortuaries are, are packed, and the mortuaries and the um, coroners are saying they need that space. So families who can't afford a schedule a funeral or cremation have to make a very fast decision to put the body in a mass grave. You know, it's um, unfortunate. Um, so um, that's pretty much where we are with that. Um, uh, my wife's um, nephew's girlfriend's mother passed away. Um, she was sick for some years with heart problems. She died in the house. The coroner picked her up, and then when they called her a few days later, they listed the cause of death as coronavirus. And from what she's telling us, that the insurance claim doesn't count for a pandemic, so she has to get back on the phone with them. And I said, whoa. So I'll be my line thinking doesn't count for pandemics. Wow. 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 Oh. Mm. Context of white surprise. I feel like the insurance companies, like they come in and get to get like, I can't give a metaphor, but I mean, they get to give like a really aggressive like finishing blow if we were or or another element of abuse uh and terrorism like i was thinking in hurricane katrina like you go through all of that and then the insurance company says oh no this wasn't stone this is flood you don't have flood policy so we're not covering any of this thanks for keeping up your policy though whoo thank you thomas in new york uh sorry to hear i mean yeah the insurance thing kind of staggered me a little bit but Sorry to hear about um, your wife's is it friend, friend, we'll say friend, friend of the family um, and the reports directly from uh, New York. Like, wow. Uh, and I'd said I'd, I'd heard that about the rush on the funerals, uh, not allowing funerals. And they had talked about that. You can't have, you know, big ceremonies because they're doing the social distancing and all that. And, you know, like, wow, uh, to make something that's already going to be a painful transition, uh, even more, uh, painful, uh, and stressful for everyone involved. Like, wow. 
Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have comments, uh, questions, observations to share, line should be open. Proceed. Oh, hi. Hi. Hi, hi Gus. Um, I just sent you a tweet. Um, it's the footage. It's the f- it's footage of the New York City worker burying bodies on Heart Heartland. It's drone footage, so they are doing mass graves there. Um, I thought that they were um, incinerating bodies, so I'm not sure why they're doing mass graves. So I'll just mute my line. Much obliged, sir. Uh, well, Thomas in New York said that they only have the two crematoriums in the state. Like, you didn't even say the city. So, I don't know. Maybe they don't have the ability to do that. Uh, apparently, they don't have the ability. Maybe they would be doing that if they did. Um, but mass graves and they have drunk. Like, wow. That is a am- Even that, like, from all of this starting in March, that is, or at least I think that is stunning. Uh, I remember immunity not taking this serious and all of that. That was March. It's barely been 30 days to mass graves in New York city. Other folks who dialed in firefighter just talked about that. He said people wouldn't take it seriously until they start having mass graves. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in, if we missed you totally proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus, and greetings to everyone. Uh, my uh, thought came from many years of studying war on a global basis and uh, there's not a there hasn't been a familiarity of the conditions as a result to war uh, from people white and non-white in this part of the world that is called the United States. Uh, The latest experience on a total, almost devastating uh, effect wasn't since the 1860s, uh, as I can recall. and you're not, of course, you're not getting the destruction in, ter- in terms to uh, buildings and uh, the environment itself, but uh, the results of people is where uh, it's actually taking place. And unfortunately, uh, because of... Uh, bad habits in this part of the world. That's the best thing I could think of right now uh, as far as a word to describe it. Uh, Things that shouldn't be important like a $700 pair of sneakers that I will be sitting and waiting in line since 4 o'clock in the morning uh, becomes more of a a priority than than that $700 going towards uh, uh, some sort of uh, 
project to study something. Uh, so that is one of the uh, issues that have the average person to be be not being as alert. What is, of course, what has helped me is from, you know, 27 and a half, 28 years on a job where, you know, you're seeing uh, a, a very close propensity between someone who is alive and someone who has died or is dying on a, on a daily basis of going to work. Uh, so that's what brings it to my mind of seriousness, taking things serious from that standpoint. But, uh, yeah, it's just was, uh, and also from the standpoint, what, what also could really impact non-white, non-white black people is, uh, we are not too good collectively into logical codification in itself. And as I've been saying, if there is a time, if there's ever been a time during our lifetime on having a code based on logic, this has to be one of the uh, reasons to do so, to have so. And uh, that's all I to say. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Excellent time to be codified and then remain so. Number to dial 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Is that just me? You all can let me know if I'm, you know, being silly or maybe I'm not seeing things accurately or maybe I just have a an anomalous perspective uh, is are other people seeing that the information specifically that has come out about the last seven days saying that it looks like black people in the U.S. specifically they are suffering uh, tremendously from the coronavirus uh, are you all seeing uh, non-white people black people who are suspicious of these reports they doubt them they don't think they think there's something uh, untrue about this information maybe I just have an incorrect perspective on that if anybody else has seen that you can share that as well uh, other folks that we've missed totally proceed hello may I be here Irie in Louisiana yes ma'am salutations everybody um, I'm suspicious honestly because studying um, uh, their approach to so-called AIDS, which was GRID, which was whatever else before that, you know, there was a period of time for African or our black people, non-white people, black, that they kind of lumped everything into being AIDS just so they could have a body count of people that died from it, you know, statistically, so they could, you know, whatever the agenda was for those numbers, they could say, yep, they, they had AIDS. Um, I'm not saying people aren't um, dying from, you know, COVID. Maybe some people are. Maybe some people have pneumonia. Maybe some people are having um, other complications that are respiratory that are 
being ignored because right now the demand is to treat people with respiratory problems, um, treat them as though they have this. So that's also a big probability in my mind. Um, and then like the report said, you know, when you've been, when people have been lied to so frequently for so long, it's no, there's no question that people are going to second guess um, what's being said. I, I admit I am one of them. Um, I um, have been listening to um, a friend of mine, actually. She does sound healing, and she has a channel, uh, Kimitones Sound Healing. It's been really helpful at night to end my night with different um, frequencies that she plays on. I'm not sure what they're called, but. She has the different things, and they have different tones. It's really nice, and I would recommend that to people that meditate, you know. Um, okay, yeah, but so the next thing. I um, went into Walgreens, and I got two simple items. Like, I got a pack of um, gum and um, something else. It was really small, and I stood in on the little circle where they said, there's, you know, good for you to stand, to be socially distanced. And I observed a non-white female, Hispanic, uh, Walgreens employee. She served one guy, and they were kind of chummy, or friendly, I should say. She served him, um, and then she served two Hispanic people or a couple. You know, she checked them out. But no problem. Then I walked up, and that's when I put the items down so she could begin to scan them. And she stepped back, and then she looked around like I'm not sure what she was looking for. And then she gestured with her hands raised like, what do you want me to do? So I was like, is something wrong? And then that's when she reached over, and she, now she had gloves on and a mask. She reached over and she pumped some hand sanitizer on her gloves and rubbed them. And then that's when she went to check me out. And I was like, okay. Um, I asked her, I said, so are you, you think I'm infected or something? And then she says, no, I've just been touching so much stuff before you came up. I just want to use this, you know, so I don't have these dirty gloves you know, the dirt from the whatever on your stuff. But I, like I said, I observed her. She didn't do that with them. So I was like, that's interesting. Um, so the next thing I wanted to um, tell Thomas in New York about, and maybe he could give some kind of um, clarity on this, I found out about something called algorithm trading. And um, basically, according to the one video I saw and the website I went on, you can, they're trading algorithms um, like the stock market, and it's, you have to have $15,000 to buy in, and it's, this particular company is also requiring, let's say, they say that the SEC requires a $4,500 license fee um, per person in order to do so, so the person didn't answer the question to me, of what is what is the contract that you're um, trading? Like, I don't understand that. And, um, yeah, 
And then I also found it interesting that it's so high to get in to this particular trading. It's like, wow, like it has to be 15,000. Okay, moving on. Um, I think businesses and like not schools necessarily, but certain businesses are ready and, you know, gearing up to open up again. I did hear the president say something about, oh, we're not going to go past May with, with things like this. I'm very loosely paraphrasing. And also, I have a gym membership at the YMCA, and so that's when I called there to let them know, please don't bill me this month since I can't come, you know, put my membership on hold, and that's when the attendant told me, well, that they were planning on opening back up April 30th, and I was like, that's interesting because I'm seeing reports about cases getting ready to go go up exponentially. I said, where are you getting guidance from to tell everybody you're opening back up on the 30th of, not May, the 30th of April? She's like, oh, from the CDC. So I was like, okay, that's kind of wild. Like when you, when the CDC say we still don't know yet, you just got to hold off a little bit longer. Like, when, I don't know, anyhow. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask, no, there's two more things. I know I'm, Making it fast. I want to ask Imhan DC if he's on the line. Was he in Africa to scout for places to move to to for expatriation purposes? And the last thing I want to say is I'm catching up on archives. I heard the interview you did with the the school teachers. I wish so much so that I, I hadn't been busy and I had been on the line for that. But you did a really good job, Gus with uh, that whole thing, the nationalism, the white nationalism and uh, white supremacy, how they're trying to disassociate. And that's all I have to say for now. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. We'll get Thomas's response to the algorithms uh, trading um, once we nab all the other folks who dialed in. Uh, so that'll be one that we get back to. Uh, I was a little confused at first. Like, what is she talking about with the teachers? Oh, yes, yes, that was. That seems like five years ago now. Um, other folks who dialed in that we have not heard from at all. If you have a hand up, uh, I suspect we'll nab Imhan DC somewhere along the way as well. Uh, other folks who dialed in that we missed totally. If you have a hand up, proceed. May I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, yes, greetings, Gus. Greetings, callers and listeners. Um, appreciate the format, of the platform again, Gus. Um, I'm I'm based in Brooklyn. I'm based in one of the locations that are high. You know, they're looking at and and seeing that high amounts of us are being infected. Um, I looked in my particular zip code, and it literally lists. You can go online. My zip code is up to. 70% of the infected. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I don't know. What the... Yeah. Um, 70% of the infected are non-white coming from my zip code. Um, I can speak from experience of walking down the street and seeing other people. Most non-white people um, classified as black would be are trying their best to be um, safe. They're wearing um, mask and gloves and everything of that nature and their lines to get into spacing and their spacing. Um, but the numbers are still somewhat high because of the, uh, 
I do believe because of the food. One thing I did notice is that there are whole food places in my area and the whole food places that uh, sell herbs and natural um, remedies uh, such as burdock, dandelion, these foods are, these um, herbs are found to give a higher level of um, uh, antidox, antioxidants. They'll fight off a lot of uh, issues that you may have with your, your system and boost your immune system. Those places are, there's barely anybody there. There's no lines for these places. Um, instead, there's still lines for regular groceries and supermarkets that don't have these, um, these herbs like uh, burdock and dandelion that would help boost your immune system in times of need. So, um, and I spoke to the, um, the owner at the cashier, and they explained that this was something frustrating because they're also non-white, and they're, they're wondering how the so-called community is not seeing what the actions that they should be done. Um, the other aspect um, that I wanted, the other thing I wanted to bring up is a, more of a question uh, well, actually, two more things. One of them was the fact that I've been speaking to other Asian people, non-white, and their concern and fear. And I had one of my friends from Chinatown in, in the city literally call me and tell me he left the city and went upstate New York because he couldn't stand being treated so poorly in the city because this, you know, because the virus and everybody's pointing at Asian people, quote unquote, Chinese as the problem. And I thought to myself, I said, wow, I, I couldn't even do that as a non-white male, black, leaving the whole entire area and just going somewhere else to hope everything dies down. Um, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. And the last thing is more of a question, which is in regards to health, and this is something that I wanted to ask Dr. Nathan that, uh, that came on, um, and I was wondering how everybody else perceives this on the line, which is the fear level and the effects it has on us as uh, non-white people, being the fact that we're already put into a position where we're, we're put, put, fear is put in front of us all the time, um, doubt is put in front of us all the time, and in order for us to actually really succeed and so to speak and when i say succeed i mean move forward live longer do better as a quote-unquote so-called group how is the fear affecting us at this point where everything you turn on the tv is pointing to the fear and now it's saying that we're the ones that are more um, susceptible to this uh, virus than anybody else and things that we can may do to actually counter it i'm, I'm curious that what yourself has to say about that gus as well as any other callers. Um, with that saying, I will uh, mute my line. Thank you for your time and energy. Hmm. Much obliged, uh, good sir. Uh, folks can give their responses as we proceed. Uh, I'll give out the number again, 605-313-5164. The code Five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, I personally, uh, 
am not and recommend not like gorging on content related to COVID. Like, you know, I've said before, get whatever information you need to make logical decisions for the day. You might have to check multiple times in the day because it seems like things, you know, are evolving so rapidly uh, at different points. Uh, but I would not just binge on that material uh, in terms of uh, fear. The reports over the last week have not made me fearful that I was going to be infected or, you know, I'm at greater risk because, you know, I'm a black person in the States. Um, it's definitely been, like I said, jarring. I think that was the exact word that I used. Uh, that's certainly unpleasant to wake up and see that every day, but more in a sense of the same way I feel about waking up uh, and seeing, you know, police shootings uh, every day, but to see this on a broad scale and particularly to see this, because in my view, this is just another indictment of racist man, racist woman, racist child, even if it is that this is not uh, so-called COVID-19, if this is, uh, these are other respiratory issues or other complications that are related to, uh, medical terrorism, uh, and what white people have done to us in all areas of people activity. Uh, just seeing that every day is super unpleasant, but mitigating, uh, try continuing to take care of myself, practicing yoga. I think the young lady who called in about trying to sleep well, uh, just trying to do normal things that I would do to stay healthy, uh, eating well, cooking well. That's why I was really excited about getting my cast iron pots, trying to do those things. But, um, yeah, I can't really say that it has made me like personally, uh, fearful. Um, yeah, I still go to the grocery store and I don't wear a mask. Um, I went outside for a walk. I didn't have a mask on. I didn't even have a shirt on. And then I got halfway around the block and I said, are you supposed to have a shirt on? And I couldn't figure it out. So I just finished my walk and came back home. But it has not made me personally fearful. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be hurt? M. Hondisi, aforementioned. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings and greetings to everyone. Um, so I wanted to answer your question. I'm so sorry. I've. I uh, forgot the name because it, it went so quick. Um, I forgot your name, uh, m uh, Mr. Gus. I'm sure you can help me out. Uh, but Irie, um, to answer your question, Irie. Okay, yes. So Irie, to answer your question, um, yes, I did go to Africa to to check and see uh, where I could live and you know possibly relocate my family and relocate other um, Americans uh, or Black Americans. It's, um, what I'm referring to as American. So, yes, I did go to Africa for that reason. I also went to Africa to get an alliance with the Africans. Um, I went to Africa to do a lot of things, you know. But, but yes, uh, one of the main things was to see if I could live there. And, actually, I had tried to live there when I first uh, went to uh, Ghana. I even, you know, stated on, on my social media you know, I've moved to Ghana and, you know, I tried to live there. Um, and it was just a little more difficult than if, if, if for me to stay there and obey the laws, the way the laws are set up or was set up was it made it very difficult for me to be there legally and do what I was, you know, actually live uh, comfortably. Um, but, uh, as it is now, I think that, um, it is more suitable 
for Americans to go there, black Americans to uh, go to Ghana and other places in Africa um, and relocate, I, I do think it's, it's possible. I think it, it's, um, it's doable. Ghana recently uh, gave citizenship to um, a number of black Americans, I, I was told. Um, but it took, them, it took them a long time to do it, but they did do it. And uh, so that's really important. Um, I, I appreciate uh, the current president, um, the current leadership. Um, I got to speak to a lot of people. I didn't speak to the president, but I spoke to a lot of people. Um, anyway, I think that there's a lot of uh, Africans that are for us and do want white supremacy to end. It's hard to explain things um, because we don't live the same day-to-day terrors. It's, it's very similar, but sometimes it's difficult to explain in a short sitting. Um, I wanted to say about the virus. So once the warm weather comes, most likely what I'm predicting and what people say, what the president said, uh, is that most likely uh, we'll have a lower number of viruses during the heat and the warm weather. Um, And here recently, the last two weeks, uh, white people have chosen to spray less chemtrails. So I've seen a lot of blue skies recently, which means there's a lot of sunlight. So if you go out and stand in the sun or or move in the sun, uh, Gus, you just talked about uh, walking with your shirt off. I was actually going to suggest that people have their shirt off so that you can absorb the sun, you know, absorb the sun uh, and be active, sweat, drink a whole lot of water, eat a whole lot of green foods um, and, you know, dark fruits. Um, And, uh, but yeah, so I think then in the winter we'll probably have this virus thing again, I think, I don't know. I've heard people say it. Um, but what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, those were the main things. I also wanted to just say on the record that I am for my elders. I respect my elders. So if there's ever a time I do disagree with different things that are said, and I agree with a lot of things that are said, but I do want to make it clear that I respect my elders, and I want us to solve this problem as soon as possible. ASAP. Much obliged. M. Hondisi. Vitamin D. That's one thing. Try to get outside when it is sunny. Get outside. Get some vitamin D. Get that sunshine in. Good for your uh, melanin, they say. That's why I didn't have my shirt on. I'm not sure if that's, you know, I don't know what the CDC says about that. Maybe you're supposed to have a shirt on. Uh, other folks who dialed in that we missed totally proceed. Can I be heard? Greetings, Henry in Chicago. All right. Greetings, Gus, and greetings to all the callers and listeners. Um, I, you know, I myself, uh, talking to people uh, and also uh, looking at, uh, looking at certain situations here in Chicago, the numbers of, uh, COVID-related deaths in the um, in the uh, black areas is a little misleading, and I'll say this because my wife uh, works at 
a hospital uh, in uh, in the south side of Chicago, in the particular area where uh, where majority black people are at, and where majority of the people uh, who are uh, you know have the virus are at as well. And she had to be called back into work. Now, my my wife doesn't work as a nurse or a doctor. She works as an inpatient care analyst. Uh, she was working from home uh, for the first two weeks, and then she got called back in last week because uh, it got uh, the, uh, the the volume got heavy, and they, she had to come in and and help out with the volume and also train other people. But she also does the statistics for the hospital. And what was said by Thomas in New York earlier was she found out that there were a lot of patients who were getting li- who were who were uh, who were dying that was just marked off as as uh, infected with the coronavirus, even though they came in uh, in in a dire condition and were you know was going to die anyway. But uh, she was saying that uh, talking to you know some of the nurses that. They were they were told to put coronavirus death related. Uh, I also talked to somebody who works at the University of Chicago, a nurse at University of Chicago, who basically said that there was a gunshot victim uh, because they have a trauma center there uh, who came in. He died about two hours after he came into the hospital, but she was told to put coronavirus related death. And apparently this has been going on for like the last week and a half. Uh, as, as far as I know with this. Now, the deaths are, are there. Uh, my wife also said that her hospital's morgue is so full that they had to rent a, another area that was refrigerated so they can store the extra bodies that were in the hospital. And so, you know, my thing is this. Uh, any, any non-white, particularly any non-white black people, uh, if you are sick and you can stay at home, please stay at home. Because from what I'm observing is I'm thinking that these people are coming into the hospital and they are dying in the hospital. Uh, I was watching the video with a doctor in New York, uh, Kyle Seidel. Uh, Kyle Seidel, I think that was his name. And he was saying that the ventilators... Uh, that they are using, uh, the way that they're using is, is actually killing some of these coronavirus uh, uh, patients. And what he was saying was they're, they're being configured wrong. And the way they're treating these uh, patients are not, you know, is, is, is not the, the way that they should be treated. That he said that they should be given oxygen. So I, I ran this across my wife, who also deals with, uh, you know, the, the inventory there. And she says, well, that makes sense because Oxygen costs more than ventilators. So what they're going to do with black folks, they're just going to give them ventilators so they can basically kill themselves or, you know, have somebody kill you. But uh, like I said, I think the numbers are skewed as far as the related deaths of coronavirus. The deaths are happening, but I don't think it's I don't think all of them are coronavirus related. Uh, So, you know, that is just my take on it. You know, like I said, my wife works at a hospital. She deals with the statistics. Uh, and that this is the this is what I've come up with in regards to the skewed numbers of coronavirus related deaths. Um, that's all I have on me in my line. 
Much obliged, Henry, in Chicago. Did you say it was a gunshot wound and they listed it as uh, Corona? Uh, yes, from what I've talked to from the nurse who worked at University of Chicago, she said that there was a patient that came in with a, with a gunshot and he ended up dying and they told her to put coronavirus for death, uh, coronavirus death related. <laughs> Disgraceful, but we are in a system with a lot of deception. Uh, I would be saying a whole lot about that. Like, wow, the folks who, who work there, like if, you know, that sort of thing is happening, especially if it's widespread, like, wow. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Did you have any, I guess if I get one quick question. Did you, you all have any concerns, I guess, about your wife working at the facility? You said the, the deaths are happening about, you know, uh, especially since you advise stay out of the hospital and people are, are getting sick and dying once they get to the hospital. Any concerns about her working there or being called in to work there? Oh, yes. I'm 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 very concerned about it. Uh, and, and, you know, because of the fact that, you know, the hospitals like when she had left to work from home, she said that there was only one floor that was related to coronavirus patients. Now she went back and she says all the floors. Wow. have been related to coronavirus patients. So, yeah, so I'm very concerned about that. Much obliged. Attempted parents, stay safe, take uh, precautions. Much obliged, Henry, in Chicago. Uh, other folks who we have missed totally, if you have a hand up, proceed. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry, sorry. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus. This truck driver out of Houston. Um, I just um, I um had two things I wanted to say. Um, the first thing was um, I delivered to hospitals. Um, and um, um, speaking to um some of the the workers that work at the hospital when I deliver, and um, it was one particular um hospital that I delivered to um, that a patient had just died and like seven people who were attending him were, um, I guess, um, infected with the virus. But the guy um, was who was talking to me and was telling me about the incident, it, um, he said that the, the, um, that the guy was an elderly guy um, in the hospital for, um, he came in ill with something like, um, where he had like a respiratory um, kind of infection and um, he was already suffering from, I guess, like um, heart congestion, and then they labeled that um, when he passed. They labeled it um, that it was corona related. Um, the other um, thing that I had was <clears throat> that um, I only think that um, that the media um, kind of started um, boosting the numbers of non-white black people um, with corona related deaths. It's just because um, when it first started off, the um, the social media attention that non-white black people was giving, saying that, oh, we can't catch it, we can't catch it. And um, I think, you know, once, you know, social media got more involved in it, I think that kind of started saying, well, hey, well, let's just, you know, kind of manipulate the numbers to make it seem like they can, they, they'll have it more than we do now. And that's all I have. Okay. 
I guess if I could get one quick question in, why would racists do that? Like if they're paying attention to social media and seeing that there are rumors that black people are immune to the Chinese virus. So we'll put out these false reports that they're more likely to die from it. Um, why would they do that? Um, and my thoughts were um, in the beginning of this, um, when it first kind of started off, you were hearing these high numbers of deaths, um, these high number of deaths in like um, highly populated, I guess, white areas, um, such as like um, Italy, um, you know, like, um, um, I'm kind of, you know, my thoughts are kind of screwed right now. But like um, Italy and these other countries, um, Australia, um, some parts of um, Canada, I believe, um, and it started like you know, as it started coming towards the um, United States, you started hearing more and more about white people catching it, and then you started hearing um, people saying, "Well, oh, people in Africa aren't getting it. The only people in Africa getting it are white people who took these cruises." And then all of a sudden, within like the past couple of weeks, you started hearing that the numbers of non-white people were rising just because it, um, they were saying that, oh, well, black people are immune to this because of the the, um, the numbers on the continent not being as great as the numbers in all these other countries. So that, that was my thought. There's no fact to it. it was just, okay. It was uh, you did not answer the question. My question was, why well, my would they do all that? But no problem. No problem. I get no way. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Because even that that sort of thing stands out to me uh, when I ask someone a question. I point this out with racists all the time. I say we do the same thing, but it's different reasoning behind it. But that stands out when I ask someone a question. They talk for a long time and don't answer the question. Uh, Other folks uh, who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Hello. Ma'am. Oh, hi. Okay. I don't know if someone came in. Thank you for taking my call. I'm sorry before. I think I called before. My my phone acts funny. That might have been a noise on my mind. Sorry about that. Um, so I used a different phone. Uh, I do believe, I think the previous caller, they asked about the fear. I think that's why they're talking so much about black people. Not the black, like, not that black people aren't getting the disease or anything like that, but just the scare, like, oh, my God, we need to stay inside or we need to go away or how can we get, maybe we can scare them away. Um, That could be a reason. And, you know, they talk about all the other underlying diseases, and I'm not saying black people don't have higher than that, but that's like, Everywhere predisposed to all of that, and that's why I mean it's racism. Some people, some will say, some will not. Um, I agree. You shouldn't listen to it every day. I do try to listen to some of it because I have parents in different states, so I try to keep up with the different states. Um, one is easy because one is New York, and she's on TV like all the time. Um, and also. I think someone said something about the logic, how black people don't have the logic. And I just, I don't know, I'm kind of wary that I guess I disagree. They don't, they may not have the logic that we, that, okay, we need to solve racism and these are the steps that they need to take. 
So based on the circumstances in their lives, they've come up with some type of logic to do the things that they need to do. They may not make sense to us. And if you meet someone, you know, you make sure you get different views and they may turn around or they may explain something to us. And we go, oh, okay, I see why you say that. And I think we need to be careful of that just because they don't have the logic that we may, that I may want or you may want. There is some logic and we have to kind of take time. If we're not going to take the time to talk to each other to figure out why your logic is that way, we should just, you know, say VDQ to that person and, um, you know, move along. I do, when I go outside, I look like I'm part of the Taliban. Um, I'm head to toe, scarf, gloves. I look, I look, you know, I look like something's wrong with me. And I see a lot of people with shorts, and I just, I don't know, I'm just not that person. I don't understand it. Um, But, you know, I have to give appreciation to a black worker at Lowe's. She's probably not listening. Um, I called. I placed the order. The line was long. I didn't want to stand on the line to pick it up. I told her where I was. She said, oh, just bring your car around. And it was 40. Oh, just bring your car around. So I was just able to bring my car around and get my couple of items and leave. And I stand on the line. Now, I mean, she didn't know I was black. I don't know. She was just being nice. I mean, it's not like I said, oh, yeah, I'm a black person. Um, but she was a black person that was being nice to me. So, yay, Courtney. Um, and a lot of it, even in, like not having the toilet paper is fear. Um, also, I read an article that's saying, that says in New York, I don't know if you talked about it. Um, in New York, the coronavirus, they're saying it wasn't brought over necessarily by Chinese people. It was brought over by Europeans, which, of course, is, I believe, cold for white people. That's why they say European. And it's been reported in a few places. One was New York Times. That's where I saw it. And so I think it is dangerous, um, like they said, to cause the Chinese virus, not necessarily because it didn't start there, but we, if what they're saying is true, the people in New York, they didn't really get it. It was more from Europeans, and it just hid the fact that they were, had they had the virus, just assuming that all the people were from China. So that was, of course, I believe done intentionally. And, um, just be careful, and like I said, I I stay protected. The people around me may not. That's on them. Thank you. Much obliged. Black self respect. Uh, I'm glad you got some quality customer service from a black essential employee, essential employee who probably is not getting hazard pay. Uh, did they say you know? Because I said about not having a shirt on being outside. Are you supposed to? not wear shorts like did they say you should try to cover up as much skin as possible or like i'm that's a question uh ma'am uh did did they say that did did they say you should you know maybe think twice about wearing shorts or wear sleeves no i haven't heard that but they they say don't wear a mask do wear a mask they don't know what to say i have to live for me I can for sure. For sure. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
I have parents who love me. I'm their only child. Understood. A thousand percent logical. I was just trying to make sure that's because I said when I went outside, I was thinking, did they say you should wear? Because I did. They've been conflicting and all the rest of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have to follow logic. Use your brain computer. Dr. Welsing, follow logic and uh, yeah, make your decisions. Take your safety uh, seriously. Um, let's see other folks who dialed in that we missed totally. If you have a uh, hand up. Uh, proceed. We have about 30 minutes left in the program, so please do not wait till the very last minute if you think you want to chat, have something to share. Uh, other folks that we missed totally, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Hi, uh, this is Steve uh, from Santa Rosa. Uh, I just have one quick question. Uh, do anybody know any black people who actually got it? Because I don't know any. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Dr. Robert Reese, he was a guest on the program. Uh, he's been writing on social media that uh, he was sick. He thinks he was uh, positive. Uh, he was writing about his experience in self-quarantine. Uh, that's one person I can think of directly. Uh, anybody else? Uh, I think I know at least about three people personally. They're black? Yes. Okay. Oh, Dr. Reese. Yes, I know one. Okay. I know three people that called it. Yeah, I know three people that called it here in Houston personally. There are other folks yeah. on the line that we have not heard from yet. So as we kind of pick them up, I'll make sure they, everybody, if you haven't shared yet, uh, do you know you wanted black people specifically? Is that it B black people specifically? Uh, it's B, but yeah, specifically black, black people. Cause I don't know any, I got between my family, my wife, family, my neighbor family. We don't know any. And, uh, my my wife's mom worked uh, at Kaiser out here, and they said they only had one person that came in with the coronavirus, but they came in from a cruise mm. from Oakland. And they said ever since then, it's been empty. So I, I'm just trying to get some, accurate, some accuracy over here. For, did you say B as in, like, black or... Something else. I thought you said B is yeah, in... B as in black. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> B in Santa Rosa, gotcha. B is in black. B in Santa Rosa, gotcha. Okay. Um, so yes, uh, folks that share, if we've not heard from you yet, do you know any black people who have the virus and trying to get clarity and that sort of thing? I posted the report here uh, in Seattle, Washington, in terms of confusion. It's been lots of that the entire time. They had uh, it was on the front page of the Seattle, like above the fold, uh, like big, huge. Like that was the story for what day was that? That was Thursday, I think Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday. all the quarantine days are blending a little bit. I think that was Thursday. I'm going to say Thursday um, front page of the paper. Yep. Because I seasoned my pots. It was Thursday. <laughs> it was on the front page of the paper. 
and they had the uh, trauma center. They had turned uh, where the Seahawks play. That was going to be the emergency trauma center because Seattle was a hot spot, remember, for the virus when all this started. And they said, so we got this all set up and, you know, you might have to be quarantined here and blah, 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 and all that. They said they did not treat one patient. They're packing the whole thing up and sending it uh, elsewhere, the governor said. Uh, and that was what was on the front page. And they were like, a whole lot of people were like, what? WTH? Uh, why do we have to sit at home if you keep saying we're overrun and what is going on? Uh, other folks that we missed totally make sure uh, if you can, if you can respond, do you know anybody black people who have the coronavirus so-called we can get that in as we proceed. Other folks we missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Bay area mom. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I don't know anyone who died of the virus. I think uh, it was died. I, I think did. it was just had it. Or, oh, caught it. Yes. Caught it. No, I don't know anyone who's uh, said they had that. I know that I know someone um, who said I know someone that had it and died, um, but I don't remember them. I do know that um, that's what some of the people that go in the hospital, they're being diagnosed with it. Um, We haven't heard anything. I know someone else that died uh, during that uh, since we've been on quarantine, but their immune system was compromised already. They already were sick prior to. And um, so I don't, I don't know. Um, Listening to the clips, uh, I was uh oh what is is that oh there's um oh I can't think of the um the group of people that always talk every week when they were talking about the difference um in uh the uh what the um how they're treating the um black people the young Turks that make those hate crimes yeah the young Turks yeah how they do the uh when um when when there's hate crimes though just the wording in general because they uh. They don't call it racism um, or white supremacist. They call them extremists, and it just sounds like they're going to group anyone who speaks uh, who they consider extreme in whatever these new extremist laws that they come up with around this and how they um, they give uh, – they're much lighter on um, white uh, supremacists when they uh, lash out and do uh, strange stuff, yucky stuff like uh, trying to give other people the virus and it's making me not even want to um, get anything uh, that's in the street because this, it, it's just so strange. Um, here, well, in Oakland, um, they sent out, uh, the city sent out uh, some kind of uh, memo stating that they were blocking the streets off so you can't drive. They're doing a trial run and they started it uh, today to block off certain areas they look like um, uh, hot spots where a lot of um, black people are, where they block it off for only the bike riders and walkers and emergency vehicles could come through the streets. Um, so that's a trial for the weekend. Um, other than that, it's it's business as usual. Um it's a little eerie. I don't know what's in the air, but I noticed that um, 
it's a, a, a mixture. Black people, I'd see with a lot of cover-up, a lot of armor on, a lot of the mask, and I see them a lot with that, maybe sometimes the gloves. White people, it's iffy. I see a lot of Asians in that. Uh, every Asian I see, basically, they're covered up. But um, the white people, it's hit or miss if they cover or not. But it does look like they're looking at you to cover up. Um, I was at the AutoZone yesterday, and uh, they have the boxes. They have lines and stuff because they have started putting the lines of separation and the arrows in the stores. And the lines are just ridiculous depending on which store you go to. So I go in AutoZone, so I put my stuff on the counter. So the guy's saying something, but I had earbuds in my ear. So I said, hold on, let me turn it down. I don't know what you're saying. So he told me to step behind the box or something. I said, well, how am I going to pay for it? I'm going um, to let you know when you can pay. And, and I'm going to step back. So when he's like, okay, go. So he just jumped back. It's like, oh, you guys are crazy. So then he jumped back up. Now, I didn't notice him being that extreme with any of the other uh, customers. I'm the only black person in there. But he just jumped all the way back, like, okay, go. And I just looked at him. And then, um, you know, you want your receipt? Yeah, give me, well, give me this receipt. So then he jumped back. And then he said, have a good day. So it's just, I just noticed that it's, it does make it seem as if we, the face has changed with the coronavirus kind of to, to us or black people in general. And that's all. But now I'm mute my line and thank you for taking my call. Much obliged, uh, Bay Area mom. Thank you for reporting on the, I guess they're blocking off certain uh, streets. Uh, in the Bay Area, like that is important. Uh, I know here in Seattle, they were talking about uh, the same type of thing, like shutting down uh, beaches and things this weekend because they thought the weather was going to be really nice. Um, it was not really nice today. It was typical Seattle weather where it was kind of overcast and it was sunny for a while. Then the clouds came back out, looked like it might rain and it wasn't quite as warm uh, as it's been for most of this week. So uh, it wasn't as big a deal today, but. Uh, they were basically trying to get people to calm down and stay inside. I think that's going to be increasingly difficult uh, as the weather gets uh, warmer, especially in areas where they have beaches and things. Oakland, San Francisco, Seattle. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if we have missed you totally, if you have a hand up, commentary to share, proceed. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, good evening, Gus uh, and all that's listening. Um, this is E in Philadelphia. And um, I am calling to, um, well, I listen quite quite often, and I've called a few times um, some time ago. Um in regards to knowing anyone personally with um, that's been diagnosed with uh, COVID or Rona, whatever you want to call it, um, I don't know of anyone personally, but I know somebody that knows people that either died directly from it, allegedly, and or um, has been diagnosed with it. Um, as far as in Philadelphia, what I've noticed um, well, I'm classified as an essential worker, and I work at night uh, for a communications company. And I actually, uh, my home office is actually in Chinatown. And um, 
um, in the beginning of March, um, before uh, we had the, the uh, stores uh, close, um, the essential, uh, the non-essential businesses closed, and everything like that. Back in March, um, I went away to Louisiana on a trip, a weekend trip, and I came back. Um, but the the night before I came back to Philly from Louisiana, I did get sick, and um, I stayed in a hotel for most most of the day, and um, I I just felt really weak, and um, I didn't feel like doing doing anything, and I was upset about it because I I really wanted to. Um, uh, spend time in New Orleans, but um, I just wasn't up to it. So when I did come home, um, I felt better, but I I really didn't um, feel a hundred percent. And it was like so I came home on like a Monday, and by the end of the week, that's when everything kind of like drastically changed in terms of the climate and the news reports and such. Um, But I did notice when I went to Louisiana, I did notice at that time there were people wearing masks. And I wasn't really aware that this was going to be an issue at that time. And um, coming back home, there was this Indian guy, East Indian guy that sat next to me on the plane. He had on gloves, a mask, and everything. And this guy was like, he was kind of freaking me out a bit because he was, he, I just couldn't understand why he had all this stuff on. So anyway, um, coming back to Philly, well, fast forward to now, um, I noticed that most black people that I see have on some sort of, protection, if you want to call it that, um, whether it be a bandana, some kind of mask. Um, I see quite a few people wearing gloves. Um, but when I look at the Urugus, um, <laughs> they're out walking their dogs. A lot of them, they're not wearing masks or anything like that, and they're kind of going about their day as if, you know, none of this stuff is really going on. Um now, I did notice that some of the uh, stores in and outside of the city, um, they do practice um, the distancing with um, marking the um, floors and or having lines outside of the stores. Um, by me working at night, when I get off in the morning, I go, if I have to go to the store for myself or my parents, or relatives, I will go directly after work and get what I need to get and be out. And I haven't really had an issue with having to wait in any long lines or such. And um, so far, um, we I haven't, at least I should say, I haven't experienced any um, problems getting um, stuff. Now, actually, initially there was this real big panic about the guns and stuff like that. And um, now I will admit that I did purchase a gun. I did so 
um, I was able to do so like the second week, and I had to go to one of the suburbs to um, to get it. And it was by chance that when I went, that I went pretty much after the madhouse because um, I kind of just went without. It was it was kind of unplanned. I I did call the day before and the the day that I called this place, it was it was apparently a, a panic house there. The woman that I spoke to on the phone was telling me that, well, if I had if I was to come that day, that I would be standing out there for a while. And she told me that there was this whole, she ran down this whole protocol that I would have to do in order to even just um, be considered an opportunity to get into the place. So I actually went the following day, and I went only to find out that actually they were only taking people by appointment, but it just so happened that when I showed up, um, it wasn't a lot of people out there, and though I did um, follow the uh, protocol that was given to me the day before, um, I only had to wait for like five minutes outside in my car before the guy was flagging for me to come and come into the place to uh, purchase, make my purchases. I went in there. I didn't find the gun that I actually wanted, but I found something um, in the same family, so to speak, but it was um, a, a larger gun, and um, so I was able to get that gun and uh, a box of um, a box of ammunition. And I requested another box, and I was the guy was initially going to deny me, but he said that since I was buying a gun from them, that he would go ahead and allow for me to get the other the other uh, the additional box. Um, what I found, what I thought was kind of strange, and I noticed that when I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to get the gun that they had, um, that I kept going back and forth in my mind about getting, I noticed that there were like three other people that was at the uh, counter filling out the um, application because you have to go through like this this check. Um, I guess a background check, and um, and they were they were all black men, and um, I went to the counter when I finally figured out that I was going to go ahead and get this one particular gun. Um, I went and filled out the application, and um, he ran the check on me, and um, like it it took no time for him to take care of my situation. And I don't know if if that was some type, if there was some kind of, um, I don't know if he was messing with the men, so to speak. And what I mean by that is, like, was he intentionally putting them on pause and making them wait? Because they were there long before I was there. And, I mean, they were waiting, and I I couldn't understand why they had to wait so long because I was pretty much in and out. I was, I, I, you know, as long as it took for me to finally make up my mind to get the gun, purchase the gun, and everything, like, I was given the okay to get this gun and um, made my, uh, got everything that I needed, even a holster and all, 
And I was on my way out the door, and those three guys were still standing there waiting for a response. So I thought that was kind of strange. Uh, I left from there and went back into the city. Um, it's, um, it's, 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 I'm not scared, but I am concerned about, um, how all of this is going to play out. Um, when I, I have been going out to the, um, I have been taking classes to learn how to shoot and everything like that. And, um, you know, this, this whole event is. I'm sorry, I'm I'm just kind of nervous. Um, let me gather my thoughts. Okay. What I really want to also mention is that I went to a Lowe's department store, and this was like um, before I had got the gun. And I was scared that because I didn't have a gun in my house, <laughs> that at least I should go to the Lowe's store and, and buy some material to, like, board up my windows and stuff like that if, if you know, there happened be a rider. You know, I just didn't know how this whole thing was going to play out because when you start uh, you know, I just I don't know, I just started thinking about people riding, going crazy over, you know, resources or not having access to stuff. And usually like in in our communities or so-called neighborhoods and stuff like that, you know, all hell tends to break loose, and you know we're we're least protected. And by me living by myself in a house, you know I don't have anything. I don't have any male family members or anything like that to um, to stay with me or anything. So, you know I'm not really big about firearms or anything like that. But I, I do believe that everybody should have some kind of um, way to um defend yourself and um and and to um i I don't know this this whole thing is just you know i i feel like i'm just frustrated because um you know how I look at it, it's like we're we're still, I don't know where, it, there's no refuge. There's no place of refuge. And, and being in America, it's like, you know, we're behind enemy lines. But then when I really think about it, like there's no place to go <laughs> in this world and you're going to be kind of safe um, because we're just, it seems like we're dominated everywhere. And, um, you know, um, thirty seconds. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's it. And I I apologize for rambling. I got excited. I was thinking about a billion and one things, and I know I'm on a, a time constraint here. So, um, but thank you for the opportunity to um, kind of um, get out some things, and um, I'll try not. I'll try to. I'll try to be less of a spectator going forward and participate more. Thank you. 
Much obliged, caller in Philadelphia. Uh, stay safe. Do what you need to uh, to stay safe out there. I was very interested in the gun report. Fascinating. Black male privilege in the midst of the zombie apocalypse at the gun store. Mm. Uh, much obliged for sharing. That was uh, good to hear. Uh, we have folks we missed. Anybody we missed totally has a hand up. Yeah, I'll be heard. Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I was also thinking about that report. Well, before I begin, uh, there is a person that I know of that uh, I believe has recovered, but they or he did have the uh, COVID-19 Chinese virus, uh, I think for about two weeks, he was in quarantine. So I believe he's recovered from it, but that's all of uh, anyone that I know of that has had it. But that segment, I believe from the Young Turks, I do agree with that, the term extremist, and then them using the term, I think, uh, disgusting lunatic, instead of just saying, white supremacists uh, think that's conscious that they're trying to circumvent using that word because it, it is like the most accurate term. Um, speaking of the, the Zoom, they're using that word, Zoom bomb. Now, for the student government, they you know they said somebody was disruptive, drawing swastikas and... Uh, exposing themselves they come to find out they're saying that it was a 13 year old girl somewhere in missouri that that caused this now 13 years old now already being uh practicing racism causing destruction uh, mistreating non-white people black people so they said oh well it was the the person the little girl said it was just meant to be a joke now i don't, I don't see them plastering her face, you know, uh, in the news media as though they do with black children. So I, that was the update on that one. Uh, as far as the, I think it was a call that was on one of the uh, audio segments where they were saying about what about Native Americans and Latinos and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know the statistics and the numbers on who all is affected. And we don't even know because of all of the confusion, uh, who's accepted as white or Latino or whatever. That is a lot of confusing terms because I think, I believe a person said, well, we don't know. We only know who, <laughs> who's seen as black and who's seen as white. And we don't know who is a native American. I think they said that like, we don't even know who's what when they're coming in here. Um, but I do, I, I just have a, a bit of a suspicion. I do think those numbers are accurate. Um, but I think it, I just would appreciate more context, but given who is in control of the media, they're not going to do it. They're only going to do it to their advantage. Uh, I think they, they want to cause stress on black people. They want to cause more confusion. Um, they know they're not hiring black people. There was, there was already an unemployment problem for black people. 
black males definitely, and they're going to juxtapose that with um, saying that black people are dying at a high rate, and they're not going to say how they are treating black people once they get into these hospitals. And I, I do, I just think that they aren't treating us correctly. Um, but overall, I do think that we have to make improvements on our diet and exercise so we can have a means of countering the animosity and the system of white supremacy that they have out here um, to perpetuate against us. Uh, and that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Much obliged caller in Florida. Uh, let me see. Did, did we nab anybody? Is there anybody who had a hand up, has a hand up that did not get to share at all? Bravo. Yay me. Uh, Thomas in New York, the algorithm trading. Did you want to answer, uh, Irie's question? Yeah, uh, I have heard of algorithmic trading, not algorithm trading. So, but where I work at, at the Intercontinental Exchange, you know, in the stock exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, that's what they sell. That's the product they sell to people who want inside information on stocks. You know, they, they all their techs and computers crunch all the numbers and you should buy now and you should sell now and you can even set it up where... If this happens to the market, your stuff automatically goes into this type of account, and you know it's all different ways. But that's that's the type of algorithmic trading, um, trading that I know about. Okay. Uh, hopefully, uh, that got Irie's uh, question. Hopefully. Uh let's see. I think we got every. Oh, Irie, did he did he answer your question, Irie? Yeah, um, and he's right. It's algorithmic. I'm not, you know, I just found out about it, so I I messed it up. Um, Yeah, I wanted to add something, but go ahead. Thank you, Tommy. And Imhandi. Still learning. Still learning. I'm still learning myself. Uh, Let's see. Today was not a pleasant day, but trying to do better. Uh, Let's see. Truck driver in Houston, do you want to give... Another opportunity. I normally don't do this sort of thing uh, for a lot of reasons, but one more chance. If you want to answer the question succinctly, I do think that is a part of counter racism. So the question, why do you think racists would be deceptive with the numbers of black people being infected by the uh, coronavirus? Why would they do this? If they watched the social media where black people were saying they're immune and all this, why would they, then take the switch to say black people are more likely to die from the virus. Thank you, Gus. Um, to put fear in, um, into non-white people's thoughts and the way they move day to day in regards to this virus. Thank you for allowing me to redeem myself. <laughs> yes, well, you will get lots more opportunities. <laughs> lots more opportunities, good <laughs> sir. But yes, sir. Thank uh, you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can I speak on that call? Yeah, Percy, proceed. Thomas in New York. Yeah, I believe that the um, black people right now are going to be the, um, uh, I don't know if it's a metaphor, the scapegoat that the mainstream media uses 
because I, it, um, the numbers aren't adding up to what they have propagated this whole thing to be. And um, they're going to need someone to take the fall for them. And I believe um, it's going to be those those Negroes. Oof, have to hear that's going to be the, the word of the spring, Negroes. Oh, man, oh, man. Uh, much obliged, Thomas, in New York. Uh, did our three, and we even did a little bit of uh, overtime. We should be here. Um, hmm. We should be on lots this week. That's like minimum. We should be on lots this week. Uh, I'm trying to talk. It's like ungodly, like the time difference in China. It's it's like a 17-hour difference. So a lot of times it's like the following day trying to coordinate to speak with him and all of that. Uh, if we do a live program, it might be kind of irregular just because of, um, you know, the time difference with China. But I am going to try and see if we can get him on because I just think that would be uh, important. Uh, and an opportunity to learn quite a bit. Plus, they've you know to kind of see what they went through with the quarantine, and now they're back and rolling. Reportedly, um, I think that would be an opportunity to get some insight. Uh, and he had a prediction about all this, so we'll see if we can make that happen. There should be lots of the broadcasts on this week, and the Global Sunday Talk on Racism should be back next Sunday, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. Looking forward to hearing updates from folks around the world also. Uh, with that, much obliged for everyone participating, sharing views. I think the best suggestion, again, all of the suggestions that were given before all of this started that still apply, stay out of the hospital. A lot of folks had that as a recommendation anyway, uh, in a big part. Uh, or a huge way that everyone can work to stay out of the hospital is really being mindful, really making sure I'm taking care of my health, taking care of myself, not eating crazy, not stressing myself out, not being around people who are going to cause me to be angry and not at ease. Very, very important. uh, Making sure that we have our health and vitality. Uh, If anything, this is a situation where you do not want to come into this being unhealthy. If anything, you want to come into this as healthy as possible and then try to get through it as opposed to coming in and you're already hurting everything else. Like, Oh man, uh, at, at minimum opportunity for, Oh, this person died. We can just say that was the coronavirus gunshot <laughs> stamp that on there and the rest of it. But man, try to be as healthy as you, as you possibly can uh, through all of this and, do not binge watch on this material. I've said that a few times as well. Do not binge watch. Get the information that you need to take care of yourself. If you have offspring or parents, whatever it is, family members, period, or if it's just yourself, get the information that you need so that you can make logical, informed decisions throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, whatever it is. But don't binge watch. Uh, there are constructive things that need to be done. That is a part of maintaining health and well-being as well, not just watching doom and gloom reports to have you fearful about things. Uh, With that, uh, just check uh, Black Talk Radio Network Facebook uh, for updates about the programs. It'll be, you know, posted shortly Uh, with that. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. That would be a part of, you know, health. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled. We shouldn't be doing a whole lot of, you know, 
reckless traveling, uh, just frivolous travel at this point. Most places are uh, shelter in place and all the rest. I can't even go to the grocery store. That's something I used to enjoy. Like I could do the program, get everything done. And if I needed to run to the grocery store, they can't even do that. Everything is closed. So we shouldn't be doing a whole lot of uh, traveling. The times where you do go out and about, I would for sure. If you got to have a checklist, uh, make sure I got my essential worker documentation or anything else before you get in the vehicle. Uh, just be mindful uh, with these times. You you don't want to be in the vehicle and have something happen or what have you, and you're not prepared. Let's be sober, buckled up. If you are behind the wheel, you are not on the cell phone. Again, the logic, you just don't want to be stopped uh, these times. You could be stopped for any reason. We just want to try and minimize as best we can under these conditions. Uh, just being mindful about the war that is being waged against us and these heightened times of insanity and confusion. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.